Ladies and gentlemen, recorded in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, it's time for Fight Night Picks with your host, Frank and Matt Big time card coming up this weekend. We have UFC Vegas 35 coming at you from the Apex. And in the main event, holy smokes, a couple of perennial strikers in the UFC's featherweight division. Edson Barboza Jr. taking on Giga Chikadze. You got to watch out for that Giga kick. As always, one half your host into a Craig Allen. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Craig Allen FNP with me to my left, to your right. As always, one half the Fight Night Picks crew, Matt Allen. You can find him on the respective socials at Matt Allen FNP. FNP. And at Matt Allen FNP, last weekend, big time card, Cannoneer taking on Kelvin Gastelum. I went 8-4, and four, you went 7-5, and five. we were in the positives, and I'd say out of all of the action last weekend, some of the biggest surprises, Luis Saldana's foot injury, but maybe Parker Porter and the two-fight win streak he's on right now. Of all the fighters on the UFC roster to be on a two-fight win streak, I can admit it. I didn't think Parker Porter was ever going to get there, but he's made the improvements, and that really is the important thing. Like, he has kind of evolved even in this later stage of his career. So, even Parker Porter's out here impressing us, and I know with the card that we're both looking extremely forward to this weekend, there's so many fights on this card that we're both getting excited for. We've got Mahmoud Muradov taking on Gerald Mearshart. There's This is the ultimate fighter one, too, so there's going to be kind of that fun mix of names that you already know, and then some of those future contenders look out for. The return of the Ultimate Fighter, Team Volkanovski versus Team Ortega. Originally, they had a fight that was scheduled to take place in March of this year, but like Hulkamania in the mid-80s, COVID was running wild, and we couldn't actually get that fight, so we will get it. Now, the weird thing about this one, not really being billed as an Ultimate Fighter finale. You can see it from the poster right there. You have Chikadze, you have Barboza, squaring off and it'll be a weird one you have brian battle taking on gilbert urbina in the middleweight finale obviously that one was supposed to be treshawn gore taking on brian battle but treshawn gore out due to a knee injury insert gilbert urbina the other unique situation out of the finals here all four contestants in the middleweight and the bantamweight finals are from one team I don't know if we've ever seen that before i'm admittedly maybe not one of the well i say maybe not i'm one of I'm not an Ultimate Fighter hater. I'm just not a guy that watches it a lot. So for me, getting ready for this week, it's like cramming for a test in high school, and I feel way underprepared. But I'm watching the episodes. I'm watching the fights. But for Gilbert Urbina, a guy coming in from the BMF Ranch, taking on battle in the Bantamweight division, you have Ricky Tercios taking on Brady Heistan. Tercios, a guy, UFC fans, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series fans, you might recognize his name. He did take on Boston Solomon in a crazy fight in the first season of Contender Series. And for Brady Heistan, kid's only 22 and he's running shop through this division. I'm looking forward to those fights. Have you watched any of the Ultimate Fighter? I have not, Craig, and I haven't watched the Ultimate Fighter in years. And I can be very open and upfront about this. I think Tuesday Night Contenders is just the Ultimate Fighter, but a thousand times better because this is what I get. I just get the great fights, which is really all I care about, and I don't have to watch like the 45 minutes of drama and like behind the scenes stuff that admittedly at this point in my MMA fandom I really don't care that much about. So kind of similar to you, I'm going to probably be cramming quite a bit of that season. 
throughout the next 24 hours. But for the rest of this card, there's so many great names all littered throughout. I know we're both excited for Kevin Lee versus Daniel Rodriguez. There's other guys. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan making his 185-pound debut against Alessio DiCirico. Just a ton of great fights in this card. He's been in 185 for a little bit. Yeah, he did have his last fight up, yeah. there. But when I do look at this one, again, talked about it. Team of Volkanovski has all four of your finalists. Some big names, some prospects that are ready and they're in the oven looking to get baked into the minds of MMA fans. Matt, let's throw it on over to our fight of the night screen. As always, presented by Manscaped. Check them out. Manscaped.com. Use promo code FNP. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping when you use that code. Let's have a look at those fight of the nighters. When we get to this fight on the card, you're going to hear a lot of comparisons between Calvin Gastelum and Kevin Lee because it's crazy to think that Kevin Lee is just a few short days away from his 29th birthday. He's still 28. He's been around in the UFC for the longest time. He's headline cards. He's had big, big bouts. He had an interim title fight at one point in time against Tony Ferguson that was competitive until it wasn't. Maybe he had staff before that. Maybe he didn't. But you look at the five on in. It's two and three and those fights are relatively sporadic. Three years and three months ago, he beat Edson Barboza and then a year and a half ago, he fought Charles Oliveira. There's been injuries. There's been head tattoos, neck tattoos since. And a guy that's no stranger to head and neck tattoos. Daniel Rodriguez, a guy that only puts on fun fights. He's 4-1 in his 5 on in, but even in his loss, I had him to beat Nicholas Dalby. The guy's on a heater so far in the UFC. Some of his fights, probably closer than you'd like them to be, but I think this is going to be an all-action one for what it's worth. I'm going to disagree with that last point. That's what I like them to be. That's why Daniel Rodriguez is such a fun fighter to watch because he does have that 50-50 aspect to his game. He has absurd power at this 170-pound division and that's what's going to make the fight against Kevin Lee so much fun because we've seen Kevin Lee kind of struggle with his durability in the past. There's ever been a knock on Kevin Lee is that, hey, if you can hit him clean, he at least gets wobbled. Daniel Rodriguez, if he hits you clean, is probably going to put you to sleep, but I will admit that Kevin Lee, from everything that we've seen at 155 and 170 pounds, he should be the more well-rounded fighter in this one, but the thing with Kevin Lee, and of course we're going to be talking a lot about this during the prediction video, he didn't just tear one of his ACLs, Craig, he tore one of his ACLs, and while he was rehabbing that one, he tore his other ACL, and that's just a really, really big injury. But I will say this, this is great matchmaking for his first fight back, because Dana Rodriguez is a good, good fighter outside the top 15, who I think a lot of the hardcores kind of realize how good Dana Rodriguez is, and if Kevin Lee is able to get a win over Dana Rodriguez, then I would feel comfortable with him maybe going up and getting a borderline top 15, or maybe just beating Dana Rodriguez is good enough to get you one of those top 15 guys next, but I think this is a perfect fight for Kevin Lee's return. Kevin Lee originally scheduled to make his return Last month against Sean Brady, the fight was rebooked, then the fight fell out. In steps Daniel Rodriguez in his last two fights, went over Mike Perry and then Preston Parsons, who was coming in on short notice in his own right. And I think for Daniel Rodriguez, he was getting ready for Abubakar Nurmagomedov when he ended up getting Preston Parsons. So a camp and a half getting ready for a grappler. It'll be interesting to see how this one plays out, but a great fight nonetheless. And we hate at Fight Night Picks to cherry pick off of main events, but when you have a look at this one, the floor, former Glory kickboxing standout, Giga Chikadze, a guy that's always wanted these top fights, and now he finally gets them. He's going to be taking on... Well, the biggest name he's had to date, and it's hard to say that because in his last fight, he took on Cub Swanson, threw a giga kick, knocked him out, and for Edson Barboza, he was on a little losing streak, but now, picking things up, he beat Makwan Amerikani, he beat Shane Burgos, and finished him. 
Edson Barboza really looking to pick up a big marquee win in his wheelhouse and in his skill set. I love this one for what it's worth. If you love those Strikers Paradise type fights, this is exactly what you should be getting. I don't know what the over-under is for takedowns attempted in this fight, but I'm assuming it's going to be like 0.5. Exactly. Like, some guy might get rocked and shoot for one, but this is going to be a classic kickboxing fight for the most part. Everybody knows and loves the style of Edson Barbosa. And Giga Shikaze, he's kind of like the next evolution of Edson Barbosa. Again, I won't say he is, because we have to see if he is able to beat Edson, but he has a lot of those same tools. He loves to be that long, rangy kicker. The difference, though, is Edson Barbosa's boxing is absurd, and he just has such crazy power no matter what he throws, whereas with Chikaze, he's got great power, don't get me wrong, but I feel like he sets up his shots maybe a little bit better than Barbosa's. This fight is going to be absolutely insane because Edson Barbosa hasn't marketed himself this way yet, but I always think about what happened to Eddie Alvarez after he knocked out Justin Gaethje. He looks at the camera with his, like, Popeye lip, and he goes, who's the most violent? Edson Barbosa, pound for pound, might be the most violent fighter in the UFC. You might look at the wins, you might look at the losses, and yeah, the record's a little bit salty, but even if you beat Edson Barbosa, you're getting hit, and you're gonna get hit hard quite often, so I don't know how this fight can't deliver for the main if event. If you like Barbosa versus Hooker, you're gonna love this fight, and it's crazy to think that Edson Barbosa coming in here about 35 and a half for this fight. 31 pro fights. For Giga Chikadze, only 15 pro fights, and he just turned 33 this week. So happy birthday to George's own Giga Chikadze coming out of King's MMA. This should be a great fight. The fight of the night screen, as always, presented by Manscaped. Check them out, manscaped.com. Use promo code FNP. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping. You're going to hear me talk about my balls later on in the show. We got a great lineup, and you're not going to want to miss any of those fights. And whether you're excited for the UFC debuts of Mana Martinez, Vanessa Demopoulos, the long-awaited return, the long-awaited debut, everybody excited about that one. Uh, maybe you like Petrosky taking on Gilmore, you like the finals for the Ultimate Fighter, or even the main event. This card definitely has something for everyone, and usually cards like this, similar to what happened last weekend... Maybe the names aren't the biggest, and I say that. You got Kevin Lee, you got Barbosi, you got Chikadze. There are big names here, but sprinkled throughout a lot of highly touted prospects. Matt, on my radar, in terms of like a, a letter grade, I'm going B-plus on this card. I absolutely love it. I don't want to say anything terrible about last weekend's fight card, because it wasn't that bad, honestly. But going into it, I know both of us, our expectations were a little, uh, you know, like Jared Kane near Calvin Gaslam. It could be a great fight. But there was a reason we didn't have that for a fight of the night screen leading into the event. Giga Chikaze and Edson Barbosa are two of the most exciting fighters pamphlet on the entire UFC roster. And they both just have those styles that kind of play to each other. So I don't know how this card can't deliver. And I agree with that assessment. Anywhere from like a B plus, if you want to give it an A minus, hey, maybe you're a big Edson Barbosa fan. Then yeah, I don't know how this card will be fun. Should be a great one. You're not going to want to miss any of the previews and predictions. If you can't get enough of us talking, make sure you check out our second channel. It's called 15 Minute Car Breaks. This week, video just dropped. We popped open a hobby box of 2021 Tops Heritage. All sorts of great finds in there. I mean, hey, Matt, I'll pop it open. What do we have? 
a Bryce Harper box topper. Okay. All sorts of fun stuff there. We've also got great videos opening the UFC Prism cards. Look at that. There's the blaster box right there. And a UFC striking signatures with this weekend's I own. was going to say, the submission specialist himself. Gerald Mershart. So if you like that kind of stuff, we talk about sports in general, not just MMA. It's 15-minute card breaks. Link down below in the description. If you want to check out some of the swag that we wear on screen, fightnightpicks.com as well. Our own Joshua Hart hit on his big time parlay with the added booster of the odds. It was something around the plus 600 mark. You can find that, all that great stuff, fightnightpicks.com. And we're always active here on YouTube in that community tab. You can vote for your favorites. You can vote for the fight of the night. And you can check out some neat stuff over there. So keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We got a big time week headed for this weekend. And as we always say with Fight Night Picks, let's get into it. Take the visual for what it's worth this week. We are, of course, apart, and it probably tripped a lot of people up because, listen, we did cutscenes, We did the intro, all of us together, knowing that we would be apart this week as I am in an undisclosed location away from home. But, Matt, I cannot wait for this weekend. We've got some great fights. And the first one on the card, Leo Mana, Mana, Mana Boy Martinez will be taking on one Guido Canetti. Matt, I know that Guido Canetti is one of your favorite over 40-year-old Argentinian men. Of course, Lionel Messi isn't quite there yet, but he will represent the country with PSG. We cannot wait, but Matt, in this fight, it's a little bit of a tricky one because for Mano Martinez, he was originally supposed to get his UFC debut against Jesse Strader last weekend. Strader is out. So then Mano Martinez gets booked with Trevin Jones. I do a graphic. I throw it out there on Twitter. I say, hey, is this finally the fight that Trevin Jones can get after four opponents falling out? Nope. Chuck Testa will add a fifth one. And realistically, if you go to Mana Martinez's Instagram page, he put, and I quote, 100% healthy and injury free. So ultimately, this is kind of a tale of two different fights thrown together. Guido Canetti was originally supposed to be getting one tough out. And my guy, Mario Bautista, that one falls out because he didn't follow Proto Buddy. And there were some COVID protocols that weren't followed. So... Ultimately, you get this fight. Guido Canetti's a guy that's trained out of the States. He was at Team Alpha Male at one point to work his wrestling. But if you've ever watched him fight, this guy can throw some heaters for kicks. And he is the most ripped 41-year-old you've ever seen at 135 pounds. He did get suspended by USADA years and years ago. But if you actually go into it, bit of a tainted supplement issue where... They popped the supplement. They took a sample. It was one of those really risky type of tainted supplements. And ultimately it was tainted. But from all accounts, like Guido really tried his best to secure his innocence. I guess you could put it that way. He got a 10 month slap on the wrist, but it, it definitely wasn't his fault. If you watch him in the UFC though, two and six, if you count his stint on the ultimate fighter, Latin America season one, Five of those six losses are by finish. Uh, you definitely don't like to see that. His last fight was in March of 2020. He took on your guy, Dana Bakari, and he got knocked out in the first round by a wicked, wicked. It was like a hook, but it was a full extended hook. It was kind of crazy Still to see. Big. Matt, this guy's bodied up. He's a southpaw kickboxer. What do you have for us on Guido Canetti? Okay, Guido Canetti's better than an eight and five fighter, right? Like that's something we can both agree on, right? He's got crazy physical strength. I, I know his UFC record hasn't been great, but it's kind of like Douglas Lima. Now, trust me, you probably didn't think you were going to hear Douglas Lima being mentioned in a Guido Canetti breakdown, but hear me out, please. 
Douglas Lima kind of reached his apex for MMA knowledge almost a little bit too late in his athletic prime. You know, like once his takedown defense finally got to like 10 out of 10, like we saw in the second Roy McDonald fight, like we saw in the third Koreshkov fight, once it really felt like he got all of his skills together, physically he was starting to degrade at that point. You know, he's a little bit older now. He's not really the same fighter back all the way, you know, even in the Ben Askren fight. Guido Canetti. He has good MMA knowledge, but the problem is, is he is a little bit older physically. And yes, we can talk about how great he looks for being 41 years old, but he still kind of moves like a 41 year old. Like he's got those explosive movements, but they're sort of stiff. He's not the most fluid of guys on the feet. And if you go back to the Marilyn Vera fight, now listen, I know Chito Vera is one of the best bandweights in the world. So maybe you can't take a lot from that performance, but he did all right for about a minute and a half. He was competitive in some of those clinch areas because that's the real big thing about Guido Canetti. He's extremely strong in those clinch positions. My issue is, He's got his explosiveness for, what, maybe three minutes at this point? And it gets a guy like Manny Martinez, who's got great boxing, not only moving forward, but moving backwards as well. That's something Kennedy's really got to watch out for, because Kennedy's someone who will jump in and out of range quite a bit, because he is fast for how old he is. I know I talk about how stiff he is, but he's not slow, I wouldn't say. He is going to have to watch out for that, though, especially moving forwards, because Martinez, he's got that great check hook from both sides, and he's not afraid to strike backwards. Yeah, I mean, if you're really excited about Mahmoud Muradov on this card, 185 pounds, I think if you like the fighter that he is, you like the prospects out of him, you'll like a guy with Mono Mar- or guy like Mono Martinez because he also has that touch of death and it can hit you in the first round. It can hit you in the third round. He's one of the more powerful guys that you will find in this division. And I had it written down. I mean, he has a round one TKO win in 2018 over half. One half, that is, of this weekend's Ultimate Fighter season finale, Mr. Tercios. And if you look at it, this is a guy, Mono Martinez, that started in karate at the age of four. He's a karate black belt. He's a BJJ purple belt. He's a former Fury FC Bantamweight champion. And if you go down through it, all eight of his wins are by knockout. I mean, he had five amateur finishes, uh, all or wins, all of them finishes, all of them in the first round representing Metro Fight Club. Obviously, you have Michael Aswell there. You have Adrian Yanez. And our condolences with Fight Night Picks to Coach Saul Solis, who passed away, uh, what was it, last week. So really a big shame there and definitely big shoes to fill for the next guy that really takes over at that gym. But Matt, yeah, I mean, I went down through. I watched a lot of tape on Mono Martinez for his fight with Trevin Jones, now for his fight against Guido Canetti. Parlay that into Ricky Tercios. And then you look at it. This guy's a really special fighter. You look at the odds. Martinez open to minus 225 favorite. He's a minus 341 right now. For Guido Canetti, open to plus 185. He's a plus 261. The topology votes. Matt, I hope you're not peeking over there because I haven't looked at them. See you I'm later, not. Matt, on my screen. We're going to get them up. 822 total votes. 92% Martinez. 82% by knockout. And if you look at it for Guido Canetti, I mean, it might not be the sexiest line. The five on in, again, three and two. Lost to Vera, lost to Dana Bakari, lost to Kyung Ho Kong. Those are really good fighters. I even think Dana Bakari is a really neat fighter, especially in this division, because he's got a ton of power. He might look a little stiff, but he's a lot of fun to watch. I think Mono Martinez is that guy. I think it's a little bit of a promotional push. And I even think for Guido Canetti, he would have struggled against Mario Bautista. So in this fight, I have Martinez. I'm fairly confident in that one. No, I agree 100%. This is an underhand toss if ever there was one. And it's nothing against Guido Canetti. It's just, this isn't even Guido Canetti at 38 years old. You know, like that fighter at least had a little bit more gas in the tank. I just don't think he's in his prime or really even close to it at this point. And I do think Martinez has a decent ceiling in this division.
Will you let us know down below in the comments section? If, if you're from Argentina, if you are a Guido Canetti fan, I want to hear from you. We could be totally upside down and wrong, but Matt, both of us going with Mono Martinez in this fight. I can't wait for it. More split screen predictions to come, including our <laughs> ultimate fighter finales. You've got Battle taking on Urbina. You've got Tertios taking on High Stand. You're not going to want to miss that. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. And as we always say, let's, let's get into, get into it. it. This one is a return of sorts for Jamal Emmers, Matt. I know the Fight Night Picks fans, there's a lot of big Jamal Emmers fans out there, and he was originally supposed to take on Chaz Skelly not that long ago. His last win was August of last year. He beat Vince Cachero, pillar to post. And then if you really do dig into it, you think about how highly the UFC themselves think of Jamal Emmers. I'm going to read off some of the names that he's been booked against, let alone fought. Mavzar Evlaev. That fight falls out. Evlaev gets in the bad motorcycle accident. Giga Chikadze loses split decision. No shame in that one. He's half of the main event this weekend. Timur Valiev, that fight falls out. He gets Vince Cachero. He beats him. And then he's supposed to fight Chaz Skelly. Now, that was back in February. And if you looked at it, that was weird. You know, Chaz Skelly went out, did the Jonathan Papelbon. He did the, the Irish jig. And then they paid him. And he did the weird interview after the fact. Everything about it was weird. But from all accounts, Jamal Emmers had some sort of back spasm in the back. I listened to an interview this week. It was from Odds Checker US with James Lynch. And Jamal Emmers said that it actually was a herniated disc, not just back spasms. They found that after the fact. He said he didn't have any surgery on it. He went through rehab at the UFC PI. It really took him, you know, like a number, a month or more to kind of get back the strength to actually get out of bed, to laugh, to be able to train again. And for Jamal Emmers, a big difference in this one, and it's no skin off your back, Matt, but I did switch it, so you will see it up there in the graphics if you're tuning along with us. The fact that Jamal Emmers, not a pinnacle MMA for this one. I even wrote it down in my notes. I wrote down Caldwell, Bobby Green, because I bring them up every time Jamal Emmers fights. They're great guys to train with for most circumstances. He's actually training out of MMA gold. And Team Alpha Male. And there's one fighter that cross trains a lot between there. It's uh, Max Payne Griffin. But there's all sorts of good guys that train between the two. There's a little bit of a partnership between those two gyms. But I really do think, I mean, with Jamal Emmers, this is a very, very special fighter. You talk about it even against Vince Cachero. He went five of seven for his takedown attempts. He had five minutes and 47 seconds of control time. He outstruck him 103 to 76. Matt, I can go on and on about Jamal Emmers and how special he is. And the fact that he has a win over Corey Sandhagen, but he couldn't beat, what was it, Tiago Moises? So there's that. Jamal Emmers, really special fighter, great at ground and pound, great at striking. I've said all of this for Jamal Emmers. Man, Pat Sabatini's one special fighter in his own right, and this is a guy that can light you up on the feet to get you down to the ground. I liken him to like a Charles Rosa but a lot of people weren't having that in the comments section. I thought it was a pretty fair comparison, but Pat Sabatini, this guy's special. If we make it around to the third round, you never know what's going to happen, but overall, very fun fighter. I like a Pat Sabatini a little bit closer to Grant Dawson than I would like a Charles Rosa because what Pat Sabatini really likes to do is once he has that top control, he makes great use of it. Like we talk about a lot of fighters have sometimes they'll get the takedown, then they just kind of lay there and don't do anything for a couple of minutes. That doesn't really score anything in the judge's eyes. When Grant Dawson gets somebody to the ground, when Gregor Gillespie gets somebody to the ground, 
they make good use of that work. They do ground and pound. They try to soften you up to get into a more dominant position, and they move from there. And Pat Sabatini is a great example of a guy who gets that top pressure, and he makes great use of it. Now, it is kind of interesting because I was really on the Pat Sabatini hype train coming into the UFC, and it was interesting. Him getting Tristan Conley. Tristan Conley at 145 pounds. Very weird, but it was a competitive fight like pat sabatini definitely won don't get me wrong he won every round of that fight no he was a lot closer no he he won the first round he won the second round he had nine minutes he he had almost 10 minutes control time nine minutes and 58 seconds and then in the third round tristan tristan connelly took over which is weird. Exactly. And that's the thing that I worry about Pat Sabatini because if Tristan Connolly had any question marks down at 145, it would be his gas tank. We've seen him at 170 pounds. He looked terrible at featherweight. So that was a big concern going into that fight. I was like, oh, Connolly, he's got a good gas tank, but what's it going to look like? He made it competitive in the third round, and that's always something that's going to worry me about Pat Sabatini moving forward. If he doesn't get the finish going into that third round, because he does expend so much energy going for his takedowns, trying to pass guys guard, he is a lesser version of himself. That one to me, remember when Joe Selecki beat Jim Miller? It was like, yeah, you won. But you won, and that was it. Like, it's a W on your record, but nobody's talking about it the next day. No one's ever going to bring that fight up again other than us breaking the fight. No, no, they will. They will because he broke the FNP interview curse. So there's that. That that is true. But you know what I mean? Like, it was a win, but you would have liked to have seen a little bit more. That's how I felt leaving the Tristan Connolly fight with Pat Sabatini. And that's why this fight will be interesting. Jamal Emers is a phenomenal wrestler. But I do think that in the grappling department, at least, Sabatini is a much more of a threat to get a submission defensively or offensively so it really comes down to how is jamal emmers going to fight this fight because if he tries to stand on the outside if he makes pat sabatini really reach for his own takedowns i think he can box him up on the inside i really do because sabatini has okay striking i really don't think it's at like this I don't even think it's at like a solid level. I don't. He's kind of stiff on the feet. He doesn't have this great fluidity to him. And I worry if a guy like Jamal Emers is able to close that distance and make it either A, a really ugly fight in the clinch so that Pat Sabatini isn't able to really shoot on his takedowns, or if he just stands so far away from him and forces him to really lunge for them. I really think Jamal Emers is the superior striker in this. I mean, listen, Pat Sabatini striking is better than your web quality and overall uh, resolution. So there is that. But I do like Sabatini striking because it is a little unorthodox. It's a little awkward. It's something that you're not going to see in the gym every single day. This is a guy coming out of Henzo Gracie in Philly. He does have a teammate on this car that we will talk about later on. But Matt, when I look at the odds for this one, Emmer's open to minus 145. He's roughly a minus 150 right now. Sabatini hovering in the range of a plus 125. I have not looked at the topology votes, so I'm going to shoo you away. I'm going to look at them. 913 total votes, 61% Sabatini, 78% by decision for the 39% that have Jamal Emmers, 72% by decision. A lot of people seeing a decision in this one. I see it as a really close fight. I think it's lined right. I hesitate on the injury to Jamal Emmers. He's been a while away for a while. Obviously, that last one was great over Vince Cachero, but Cachero not really on the level of those guys that I mentioned earlier as far as the names that Emmers has been booked with. I think this is a great job of matchmaking. I just that's that's where my hesitations lie. I have Jamal Emmers in this fight. I think Pat Sabatini is an awesome fighter. He's a great fighter. This is one where I call it a 50-50. I look like a donkey whether I get it right or wrong, but I think you're going to get a really good fight out of this one. 
Yeah, I agree. I do think this is going to be a phenomenal fight. And again, I do agree with you. I ever so slightly favor Jamal Evers in this one because, again, I think he can at least sustain whatever game plan he goes into that fight with. With Sabatini, we do see that drop off. And again, it will be interesting because Sabatini might be like uh, Paulo Costa, you know, like he expends so much energy. That's why he is tired. Like he throws a lot of strikes. That's why he's getting tired. When he grapples, he really is going for it. Like he's chaining multiple takedowns together. He's going for a lot of passes on the mat. Maybe if Sabatini doesn't go for so many takedowns and he isn't so grapple heavy in the first round, maybe we will see a fresher Sabatini in that third round and it could be a more competitive fight. But I do agree with your assessment and I do like Emerson in this one. You look at Sabatini, you look at his losses. He had one to Rob. Robert Watley really early on in his career. That was a guy that you know and love from PFL. You look at it in his last loss, obviously that one dislocated his elbow against uh, James Gonzalez, and then he came back, beat Tanoni, beat Stern. And then the other loss was to Jose Marshall. And that wasn't, how long ago was that? Uh, 2018. So, I mean, listen, decent names on the regional scene, plus you're losing by decision. Obviously, that was a freak fluke of a finish loss that he did have. So, I think this one should be a great one. I like it to to end up by decision. It's a flip of a coin who wins. I'm going with Emmers. You're going with Emmers. It should be a great one, and we've got great fights littered throughout, including some day abuse that you're not going to want to miss. So keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. And as we always say, let's get, let's into, get it. into it. Finally, the UFC has Vanessa Demopoulos within their promotional grasp. It's not Contender Series. It's not the Ultimate Fighter. This is the real deal. Not that she's been on the Ultimate Fighter, but Vanessa Demopoulos is somebody that a lot of UFC fans were excited about. They really know who she is. She's competed with LFA. Hell, she's even their former strawweight champion. And she had one of the best fights that you're going to find in all of women's MMA against the Mexican-Canadian Lupita Godinez. And if you go back and watch that fight... Very competitive throughout. Lupita Godinez has a great first round, great second round, great third round, where you bank it and you win. But Demopolis makes it competitive in the fourth and the fifth rounds, and it was just a great one. She was originally booked to be competing coming up this week at LFA 114. She gets the call. She's going to move up a weight class. Now, we talk about interviews as interviews go, and I listened to one from Lynch MMA on his own channel, James Lynch. Now, I noticed he had an interview out on Twitter with Vanessa Demopoulos ahead of that LFA 114. He did uh, another interview and uh, really talked about how Vanessa Demopoulos has completely changed things. She used to be at Alliance. You'd see her training there quite often in San Diego. Now she has switched things up. She's training with one of my favorite fight gyms out there. I know one of their guys looked like he broke his foot in his fight last weekend in Luis Saldana, but fight ready MMA with Eddie Chow with Santino DeFranco and from all accounts she's totally changed her game around in anticipation for this fight but if you don't know Vanessa Demopoulos she used to compete in BJJ tournaments or will compete at 125 pounds she is a two-time Pan American champion seven-time national champion five-time world medalist in grappling very fun fighter to watch brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu Matt she fought some really good names in the past, but if we're focusing on Vanessa Demopoulos, sometimes it's like molasses rolling uphill in the winter or wheels of cheese rolling down the hill in the United Kingdom because when things get bad in some of Vanessa Demopoulos' fights, they just continue to spiral out of control and they can get really bad. 
However, in that Godinez fight, she was able to rally back in the later stages. Three-round fight taking on J.J. Aldrich, who was originally booked against Vanessa Demopoulos's main training partner, Tracy Cortez, who falls out of this one. Demopoulos, again, is up from 115 to 125 for this fight. What are you thinking here? This is an interesting fight. And here, I'm going to throw back to our videos last week where we were talking about Sasha Palatnikov and Ramiz Brahimai. When Ramiz Brahimai had his UFC debut, it was against Max Griffin. And yes, to the average UFC fan, that might not mean anything. But you and I, we watch quite a bit of MMA. We know how good Max Griffin is. And we know that, hey, that's a really, really, really hard UFC debut. This kind of reminds me of that fight, only for women's flyweight. I understand JJ Aldridge might only have 11 fans on Instagram, and maybe no one really cares about her placement on the card and whatnot, but she's not a bad fighter for being 9-4. and four. She has decent boxing on the outside. She's someone who can put together combinations, and she's steady, and that really is important. She's just consistent throughout three rounds. Just like that raconteur song, Steady As She Goes, Matt. I wanted to throw this at you before I, I flip it back over. So our last fight was against Courtney Casey in March. We had split picks on that one. I think you had Aldrich. I had Courtney Casey. JJ Aldrich won by split decision. The MMA decisions, and I'm going to throw a friend care, of the show Greg, under sorry. the bus. One person had it 29-28, which was Drake Riggs. 16 had it 29-28, Courtney Casey. The third round was close. The first round was Casey. The second round was Aldrich. So it all depends on how you scored the third round. Obviously, I scored it for Courtney Casey. But uh, you know what? J.J. Aldrich, she's consistent. And that's all that's going to matter. Because this is the thing, Vanessa Demopoulos is just really aggressive. She reminds me a lot of Macy Barber earlier on in Macy Barber's career. Like, think about before the losses, at least. Macy has a lot more power than Vanessa Demopoulos. But it's a lot of just recklessly charging forward with combinations. And yeah, when they land, it looks great. Look at Demopoulos' last uh, win against Cynthia Arcio. Like, it was great because she lands that one big shot, falls up with ground and pound. It looks really good. But this is the problem. If she isn't able to land those really flat-footed combinations, then there really isn't much to her striking game. Like, she does have a good grappling base. I think on the match, she's very, very tricky. But a lot of Demopolis's fights come down to, I outlast my opponent, and then I try to submit them when they're tired. It's kind of like Muhammad Ali in the second half of his career, where he would rope it out guys and then end up winning the last few rounds or winning by stoppage at the end of the fight. It's too much lesser degree, but it's a lot of, I'm in survival mode. Now you're tired. Now I'm going to try to grapple you. And that does work. I don't think that works against a fighter like JJ Aldrich. I really don't. I don't think Aldrich is someone who's going to be in the top 15 for very long if she ever is able to get in there. But even look at some of her wins. Like I think Pollyanna Viana could probably beat Vanessa Demopoulos, if we're being completely honest. I think Lauren Mueller and Vanessa Demopoulos are quite similar, to be completely fair. Like, I don't really see that much of an advantage over Demopoulos than Mueller. I gotta be honest. Like, she's okay when those flurries land, and she does have good cardio, but I don't see any skill that she has really standing out in the UFC. Look at how she throws her strikes. If any... But if anybody else threw strikes like she did, extremely flat-footed, squaring up her shoulders... It just, we would be laughing them out of the cage. Like, yes, her grappling's good, but her grappling's not so good that's going to be able to get it done against the Mackenzie Derns of the world, the Lavinia Souza's of the world. Like, there's other people out there who have better grappling bases than Vanessa Demopoulos. Like, I, I really don't see what her ceiling can be in either division, be that strawweight or flyweight. Now, I, I'm assuming she will move down to strawweight after this fight, no matter what. I mean, I, I look at this one... I, to me, I think that move to fight ready, you're only going to get better with your striking. You're only going to get better with your takedown attempts and your overall wrestling game training with somebody like Tracy Cortez being the main person who's getting ready for JJ Aldrich. So 
I don't know. I mean, I, I look at this one. Obviously, it's tricky. Aldrich open a minus 220 favorite. She's minus 356 right now. Demopolis open a plus 185. She's a plus 274 over on Topology. Total votes, 89% of 796 total votes for Aldrich. 11% are for Demopolis. 61% of those fans have her to win by decision. 92% of the Aldrich fans have her to win by decision. Vanessa Demopolis wrote the stripper Bible. You can pick it up on Amazon. Um, Matt, I've got JJ Aldrich in this fight. I, I do like Vanessa Demopoulos. I think she's going to shake things up and make some noise at 115 pounds. And I really do like her career there. You want to see another one of her fun fights, the Sam Hughes fight. I know we talked about it. I got really amped up about it when she was going to fight, uh, Tisha Torres before that one. Sam Hughes is having a ton of success until she gets caught in that crazy inverted triangle. And Vanessa Demopoulos is very good at the old inverted triangle. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm going with Aldrich in this one. I think as far as takedown ability and then overall presence on the ground in terms of top control, I think Aldrich has it there in terms of striking. I chalk it up fairly even, but I like the size advantage for Aldrich. Although Demopolis will have you believe, I mean, JJ Aldrich used to fight at 115 pounds. So there's that. So is much more she's much more filled out for this division though like she's fought here before i i look at jj aldridge physically much more like a flyweight than i do demopolis like honestly demopolis could probably be an atom weight if that was the division in the ufc like i know it is an invicta i don't believe lfa has an atom weight division but i i think that honestly she could move down to that weight class because when you do look at her physically she will be the much smaller fighter in this fight and i do think she's gonna have to rely on her wrestling quite a bit and with the physicality of jj aldridge again i don't think jj aldridge has this like you know her talent doesn't jump out of the page at you but i still think the safe bet at least is aldrich by decision i would say demopolis's first and only fight at flyweight that i could find was her third amateur fight in 2013 so matt both of us going with jj aldrich in this one let us know down below if you're going with the ufc newcomer in vanessa demopolis representing fight ready i can't wait for this one matt we get a stack card all sorts of great fights the return of future champ kevin lee taking on dana rodriguez the ultimate fighter finales as well as chikadze versus barboza you're not going to want to miss that so keep it locked in with fight night pick and as we always say, let's get, let's into, get it. into it. Featured on UFC Vegas 35, we have two back-to-back type of fights out there. Ryan Reynolds would approve, and this is one of them. It's at light heavyweight of all divisions. You have a surging Dustin Jacoby against a reeling Darren the Dentist Stewart. Matt, Darren the Dentist Stewart, great interview with the Fight Night Picks boys, I'd say boys, but me, man, the Fight Night Picks man. And listen, it was way before Fight Night Picks was bad news in terms of interviews, and you were guaranteed a loss. But if you do look at it, my gauge, and I'll admit it, for Darren Stewart is awful. Matt said before we started this video, and I'll steal his thunder, he said, I was going to say that too. I have it written down on my notes because sometimes I think he's going to be great. Sometimes I think he's going to be terrible. And he's usually the opposite of whatever I think. Sometimes he's working his boxing to great effect. He has a split decision loss to Kevin Holland. That was just last year. Like, it's crazy to think of that. And then you look at his performances against Eric Anders. And yes, traditionally, the person that wins the first fight will win the rematch. But man, he did not look good. And I mean, he's been training recently out of Renegade BJJ. Who trains there? Good question. Aiden Lee trains there. Leon Edwards trains there. Fabian Edwards trains there. Who else? Kane Musa trains there. Matthias Frederick trains there. All good guys in and around 
the bigger weight classes. Now, yeah, Kane Musa, he's a little bit smaller. Aiden Lee, yeah, he's not that big, but still, those are great guys to train with. For Dustin Jacoby, coming out of Factory X, you're going to have Anthony Smith, Devontae Smith, not the guy that plays football, and Josh Fremd, great guys to train with for a fight like this. So, Matt, I have a really tough time with this one. I look at this fight the same way that I look at Dustin Jacoby's fight with Max Grecian. And I can scream and yell until the cows come home because Max Grecian won that fight based on control, based on total strikes, based on every single metric that Forever you used for a fight. However, Dustin Jacoby actually did a lot of positives in that fight that I think actually play into this one. It's the problem with Darren Stewart. The highs are pretty high. Like, look at the Maggie Patolo fight. Could have bust you up in my hands and then submit you. That's a pretty cool way to win. Probably my favorite way that a person can win. You look at... Okay, maybe the he, Charles Bird fight's not the greatest opponent, but still, he flatlined him in a pretty cool way. And even the Eric Spicely fight. Eric Spicely is a better fighter than the guy who was in the UFC, and I'm going to die on that hill. Maybe he's only like 5% better than the guy who was in the UFC, but still, you didn't see the best version of him. The guy who fought Eric Spicely and Darren Stewart was a really smart fighter. He defended the takedowns. He didn't throw this crazy amount of volume. He really made all of his shots count, but we barely see that fighter ever. And that's the problem. He's so inconsistent. And the issue now is Darren Stewart almost questions himself when he's getting into the pocket, because for a lot of the times he was always the more powerful striker. If we get into one of those 50, 50 battles, well, I've got a decent chin and I've got more power than most guys at middleweight. I'm going to be able to put you down and probably put you away. But even look at the first Eric Anders fight. He hits Eric Anders, hurts Eric Anders, and then the first strike Eric Anders throws back his way, he then gets hurt. And I think the problem is Darren Stewart against bigger guys is just always going to have an issue. And this is the problem. What weight class is this fight at, Craig? It's not at middleweight. It's at light 205 pounds. Yep. Exactly. A division that Darren Stewart does not belong in whatsoever. And again, I don't love Dustin Jacoby's game. I'm not going to lie. I don't think he's someone who's going to be in the top 50. Listen, he's got good Muay Thai, but I think he can get outstruck by better strikers in the UFC. I don't think he can go out there. Even a Paul Craig, for instance, I think would give Dustin Jacoby quite a bit of trouble just because you're insane. Again, he's a good striker, but the problem is when you're a specialist, he's. I wouldn't even say he's an insane striker. Like Max Grecian could outstrike him on the outside a little bit. And I don't think Max Grecian's the greatest fighter of all times by any means. He's okay at best. So again, if you're getting outstruck by guys who are, again, okay at best, I am going to be concerned against a guy like Darren Stewart because this is the thing about Darren Stewart, and we always have to say it. He's always going to have that one-punch knockout chance. But, and I think we both agree on this, we both hate picking guys whose only chance to win a fight is, hey, he could land that one big shot. And yes, that kind of is Jacoby's way to win also. But the difference is, Jacoby can at least put combinations together. And the great thing about combinations is that even if I don't finish you, by the end of the fight, my damage and my output is going to be much higher than Darren Stewart's. Darren Stewart still is kind of that single shot striker. He's more of a counter striker. He'll kind of wait move side to side, almost like a peekaboo type Mike Tyson. And then he's going to respond with big hooks. Unless he lands that one big hook, I really don't think he's going to be able to beat a guy like Dustin Jacoby. I worry about uh, Darren Stewart's front leg because Jacoby has really good leg kicks. And after after those leg kicks start eating him up, I really don't think Darren Stewart's going to have an answer for it. I mean, if you look at it stat by stat, and I know we hate to do that, but this is one thing that I wanted to bring up. I know you like it too, because we can kind of dissect it and pick it apart. But I like going to that website and a lot of people ask, well, where do you get it? Fightmetric.rds.ca. And then you go into upcoming fights. You go into the percentages of what these guys do in every fight. Now, Dustin Jacoby, we know 
He comes from that glory pedigree. He left the UFC almost like Chase Sherman did with BKFC. Only it worked for Dustin Jacoby to go to kickboxing. But if you look at it for Jacoby, through his overall body of work under the UFC banner, 84% of the time he's striking, 15% of the time he's going for takedowns. That makes up 99% of his attack. Where's the extra 1%? I don't know because they don't have it as uh, submissions. But if you look at it for Darren Stewart, 45% of the time striking, 47% of the time takedown, 6% of the time is submissions. And for Dustin Jacoby, he beats out Darren Stewart in every single striking metric except strikes absorbed per minute. However, his defensive metric in terms of percentage is at a 59% clip to Darren Stewart's 49% clip. So I don't like those striking numbers from Stewart. Now, could he go out there and wrestle? Well, it looks like he's been training at Renegade BJJ with the Tom Breezes and the, the Edwards brothers. And I can go down through the list of guys that are successful implementing the game plans that we've seen Darren Stewart use before and have success with. It's just the inconsistency that scares me away too. I look at the odds. Jacoby open to minus 175 favorite. He's a minus 184 right now. Stewart open him plus 150. He's a, at about a plus 152 over on topology. Total votes. Holy smokes, 946 total votes, 86% Jacoby, 73% by decision for the 14% that have Stewart, 45% by decision, 40% by knockout. That surprises me that the fans are that much on Jacoby, like that large of a percentage based on those odds. I will go with Jacoby based on the previous track record or the recent track record. Darren Stewart just has to show it to me again that he can prove to be consistent at 205 pounds too. So I, I kind of agree with you that I'm surprised so many people have picked Jacoby, but the only thing is I'm surprised more people haven't picked him to win by finish. Darren Stewart has not shown the ability to eat power shots at 205 pounds. And that's something Jacoby's always going to have over him. Like Jacoby's used to fighting the bigger guys because he has in the past and physically he will be the much bigger guy. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Dustin Jacoby is able to eat up that front leg that really limits the movement of Darren Stewart, that maybe he can land a big shot and finish him. Again, I'm not going to say, oh, Dustin Jacoby's going to knock out Darren Stewart, but I wouldn't be all that surprised if he was able to win by finish. The official prediction, though, has to be Jacoby. Again, I do like the I do like the combinations, and I do like the light kick quite a bit. And I like his takedown defense too. I mean, that's one thing, especially against Max Grecian. Grecian was going for the takedown over and over and over again. Dustin Jacoby's takedown defense in the UFC, it's only 61%, but it's gotten better over time. And I really did like it in that fight. He's looked good lately. Iwan Kutsalaba, he just kind of outlasted him in that fight. So Dustin Jacoby. That's the pick from both of us, Matt. I do love this card. Our next fight, we have Sam Alvey, Wellington Terman. You're not going to want to miss that. Make sure you keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. And as we always say, let's, let's get, get in. into it. If you happen to miss our last video, it was our first in a series of But Why fights. You have Dustin Jacoby taking on Darren Stewart, 205 pounds. This is your second but why fight, Matt? We have smiling Sam Alvey. He's going to be taking on Wellington Terman. And Matt, I got to say, Wellington Terman. Wellington, where you at? Like, I really, he's another one of those fighters. I have a really tough time trying to gauge him. Now, I went over to the IGs. Looks like he's been hanging out with one Glover Teixeira out of Bethel, Connecticut. You like to see that? Ooh. For Sam Alvey training for this one. Did you see who he was training with? His wife? No, he was training with Ovin St. Prue. He went down to Knoxville to get ready for this one. And then he went back to Henderson's, trained out a team quest. You like to see it. For Sam Alvey, you and I and the rest of the world expected him to come out in July and take on Roman Kopilov. But Kopilov had visa issues. So now Smiling Sam gets Wellington Terman. 
Matt, it's weird. Like for Wellington Term in his last fight, he was taking on Bruno Silva. They had gone to grappling tournaments before and squared off against one another. So basically, he was playing touch butt in the park at the start. Like he was getting Bruno Silva's back. They were pressuring each other against the cage. And then Bruno Silva said, fuck that noise and knocked him out <sighs> fucking cold. So Bruno it Silva knocked gross. him out cold. It was really gross. And then if you look at it for Wellington Terman, like th- this is a guy that had a lot of promise coming into the UFC. He's only 25 years old, but he got knocked out by the karate kid, Andrew Sanchez, with his El Dierte long kind of dancey moves. And He's had two brutal knockouts in a row for smiling Sam. He's what one and four in his last five fights, sprinkling a draw there against Da Jung. It's, it's a really, really tricky fight for anybody to predict. I know a lot of people are going to look at the, the recent kind of production of a smiling Sam Alvey. I'm going to list the names, uh, little nog, Jimmy crew, Clinton Abreu, no longer in the UFC, Ryan span down Jung, Julian Marquez. Like, listen, Julian Marquez, fun story. I mean, he came back after a long time away due to injury and kind of had like, he was down in the fight, but he came back and then he submitted him. But for Smiling Sam, man, it has been a rough go, but I can say the same thing for Wellington Tournament here. This is a loser goes home. This is the most 2009 CM Punk versus Jeff Hardy in a steel cage at SmackDown fight you're ever going to see because whoever that, that could be an that AW cage, matchup, right? That could be. Hey, AEW. I don't know much about wrestling, but I see the kids on Twitter and they get real excited about AEW. Here's the problem. Wellington Turvon's not a UFC caliber fighter, and I don't think Sam Alvey is anymore either. Sam Alvey was at one point. And again, these are the types of quotes that would make Julian Marquez say, I'm never going to do an interview with your channel, but I can sleep fine at night knowing that. So Sam Alvey's reached kind of this Andre Arlovsky stage of his career where his wins just come from him having slightly more volume than his opponent and them getting tired trying to knock him out. It's a very niche way to win a fight, but it does happen over and over again. And you laugh because it's kind of true. Like, even look at the Ryan Span fight. That fight was dangerously close because Ryan Span's throwing a lot of power shots, thinking he knocks Sam Alvey out. He doesn't knock Sam Alvey out. And then Sam Alvey just at least has average enough cardio to make it to the 15 minutes. And that's really what this fight's going to come down to. I don't think Sam Alvey has enough power to knock out Wellington Termon. And I know that might be a somewhat controversial thing to say because Sam Alvey, if you look at his record, has like 21 knockout wins. What about, what about Marcin Prakmiel, Matt? Markson cracked me out hot trash, Craig, and I'm not afraid to say that on camera. He's not that great of a fighter, and he basically walked forward with his hands down by his waist. You can't be getting away with that kind of stuff at the UFC level. Your internet connection's hot trash. Oh, it might be, but my points are still valid. This is the thing. Sam Alvey could win this fight just by getting to the final belt. Because the thing about Sam Alvey is he's going to have that weird underbite mouth guard that the commentary is not going to appreciate. Understanding broke his jaw was a serious injury. And he's going to move back a lot. He does have that kind of Tyron Woodley aspect to his game where he gets his own back to the cage knowing that his opponent's at least going to move forward. If I know my opponent's moving forward, that at least gives me somewhat of a predictability to their movements. For instance, if you just leave Adesanya in space where he can move forwards or backwards, it's going to always have a question in your brain. There's always going to be this hesitation because you don't really know what he's going to do. If I'm moving backwards, yes, that's advantageous for my opponent, but at least I have a pretty good idea as to where they're going. They're going to be moving into my shots a lot. With Sam Alvey, he does like that pullback left hand. It's kind of Conor McGregor-ish, but without the speed and without the power. It Again, if it lands, it will have some damage. But again, 
he really only lands those powering shots against fatigued opponents. Look at the Julian Marquez fight. That fight was really only close because Marquez doesn't have great cardio. Sam Alvey was, you know, just being consistent, staying in that fight until he gets wobbled and then, of course, submit it. That's why, again, this fight comes down to if Sam Alvey cannot get hurt. If he gets wobbled, then he probably will get finished up against the cage. If he doesn't get hurt, though, I could see him just one-twoing in the air a la Jody Escabel, and he could probably win a decision that way. I mean, I look at this one. Sam Alvey just got his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Sam Alvey also just went on a plane. And I'm going to, you know, I just said his name twice. It's like Beetlejuice because Matt makes those mistakes. He's got to play the Beetlejuice game. You just keep saying the guy's first name and last name. Call him something else. Call him like fella or pal or buddy or bro. But I looked at it. If you go to his Instagram, he's wearing a mask and I'll put it up on screen. And it's got a clear piece in the front so he can smile. But also he's wearing a UFC hat that he signed. Like, how weird is that? What if I walked around town with a hat that was signed by Craig Allen? That's a weird thing to do. Matt, yeah. I, I look at this one. I mean, Sam Alvey's 10 years older than Wellington Terman. He opened. The line was right in the middle at par. Uh, Alvey right now, plus 115. Terman, minus 141 or thereabouts. If you have a look over on Tapology, really close. 908 total votes. 56% Terman, 65% by decision for the 44% that have Alvey. It's actually 51% that have him by knockout in this one. I like Wellington Terman. I think he's going to mix it up on the ground, just like he did against Bruno Silva. I think that's why he's been training with the guys at Teixeira's. And I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a takedown heavy approach from him. You're going to see a very conservative game. Almost what he tried to do against Bruno Silva. Because he knew that there's no way I'm going to stand and trade with Bruno Silva. He's a Brazilian god. And I know that Wellington Terman is also from Brazil. But Bruno Silva, touch of death in those hands. Like Mano Martinez on this card. But when I when I do look at it, I think that's what you're going to get. Does he wrestle himself into exhaustion? And then Sam, he could. Sam Alley takes over? Maybe, but uh, yeah, I've got Wellington Terman in this one. No, I agree 100%. And I, he probably will go to the grappling. That's by far the easiest path to victory. Because if you can at least have good moments grappling with a guy like Bruno Silva with his type of physical strength, then you should be able to at least oh. wrap up Sam Alvey on the map. He had his back. Like, it looked oh, like exactly. it was good That's night. what I mean. And against yeah. Sam Alvey, like, Sam Alvey's not a terrible grappler. Don't get me wrong. He's got great defensive submissions himself. But I do think that if Termon is able to get the takedown, he should be able to consistently outgrapple him on the map. Both of us going with the younger fighter here in Brazil's Wellington Terman. Let us know down below in the comments section who you have because this fight, it was line close. It's an even fight. And yeah, it's probably a loser goes home. Unfortunately, we're both going with the Brazilian fighter in this one. You're not going to want to miss the rest of the videos, including the ultimate fighter battles. Big time middleweight action on this card and a great one at featherweight in the main event. Giga Chikadze and Edson Barboza Jr. You're not going to want to miss. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, as we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into, into it. it. Matt, big time middleweight fight coming up this weekend. I can't wait for it. It's Ghana versus Italy. It's Al Hassan versus Alessio Di Chirico. And Matt, you talk about a couple of guys that picked the wrong fighters in their respective fights. Alessio Di Chirico is taking on Joaquin Buckley. The boys take Buckley. Alessio Di Chirico steals the hype train. You've got Abdul Razak Al-Hassan taking on Jacob Malkoon, who I think we said was one of the worst fighters on the roster, including Victor Rodriguez at the time. And Jacob Malkoon goes out there and out-wrestles Abdul Razak Al-Hassan into exhaustion and beats him from pillar to post the entire fight. Now, Matt, I look at this one for Alessio Di Kirko. He's been training out of Evolusao Thai 
in Keller, Texas, of all places, with one of the most vascular men I've ever seen at 48 years old. And I'm going to pop that one up there on the screen. His coach, wow, and had some really interesting fights. But if you look at it for Alessio Di Chirico, owns uh, Gloria, what is it, Gloria MMA in Rome, which I thought was really interesting, especially coming into that fight with Joaquin Buckley, because I kind of went around the narrative of, He's been losing fights and they haven't been that great. Maybe he's just spending too much time thinking about the gym. But I mean, this guy right now coming over to the States with the foresight that, hey, I've got a fight here. Let's get acclimatized. We'll get ready for the time change being in Texas, going to Vegas. But I can say the same thing for Abdurazak Al-Hassan. Now, I just want to throw it back to DiCirico for a second because he was booked to take on Roman Delige. There was a minor injury. He was booked to be competing in August against Ali Eskab Hizriyev that I really wanted to see fight, but he's out. Uh, and originally, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan was supposed to take on my guy, Antonio Braganetto. Antonio, where you at, buddy? Can't wait to see him back, but unfortunately, that one fell out. But I do want to say about camp changes, Matt, maybe this is going to be news to a lot of people, but Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, no longer out of Fortis MMA for this one, he's actually training out of elevation fight team with Neil Magny doing the strength and conditioning at elevation. His gas tank has been a problem for him in the fight against Munir Lazez in the last two fights, especially even in the move up to 185. And this is a heavily muscled guy. I think this is the perfect move for a guy in his later stages of his career on a three fight losing streak where man, like it's put up or shut up. And that's the type of move that you have to make when you get your back up against the wall. I agree with 90% of that assessment, but this is where we might differ. I don't think you can improve your cardio like Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in one training camp. I really don't. I think it takes multiple years at elevation to make a big difference because with Al-Hassan, and I will admit, it's going to help him. Don't get me wrong, but he's the type of fighter who it's not like he has one good round and then he falls off a cliff. It's I have that one good explosion. And if that explosion hits you, it is over. It's kind of like prime Rumble Johnson, honestly. It's where... If I hit you, yes, you're going to sleep. But you can kind of make me give like, up almost. Like it, Shane Carwin. A little bit, exactly. Like, he's got that one good rush. But after that, it's pretty much it. Like, there's a great benefit to having that. But also, there's going to be a few detractors. Normally, that detractor comes by way of the cardio. And that's what we've seen kind of be the Achilles heel of Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Remember, this is a guy who, at welterweight, he was in that, like, Vicente Luque, dark horse contender kind of category there. Like, he was flatlining people, and it wasn't even close. And they were good fighters, too. Too. You don't accidentally beat guys like Nico Price and Sabah Hamasi by knockout. Those are solid, solid fighters who, yes, they might not be in the rankings, but they are borderline like 25 to 15 guys who are going to have fun fights with really anybody you put in the cage with them. And Abdul Razak Al-Hassan was proving that, hey, I'm not just a tough guy. I'm a talented, tough guy. The issue is that after his long layoff, we just don't really see the same fighter. He seems more tentative, at least now, than he was before. And maybe that does have to do with him moving up in weight. And maybe that is him worrying about the power coming back his way. Because going into that Chaos Williams fight, I thought Abdul Razak Al-Hassan at least had the speed advantage over Chaos Williams. And this is the thing. Everybody remembers Al-Hassan for, yes, he gets tired. He gets out-wrestled by uh, Munir Lazez. And yes, he gets out-wrestled by Jacob Malkoon. Sandwiched in between those two losses is a hellacious KO loss to Chaos Williams. And it's a bad one, too. And that's the thing about Al-Hassan. His striking is so explosive and it is so pretty that it leaves him open. He lunges forward like crazy on his punches. And when they do land, it's great. But they open him up for counter strikes. And this thing about Alessio DiCirico, 
he looked almost too good in his last fight, but he looked too bad in those three losses leading up to it. I think Akiriko is a solid fighter across the board. He's good in the clinch. We saw that in Julian Marquez win. Again, that wasn't an entertaining win by any means, but hey, all we care about at the end of the day is the W or the L, and that's what he got. And that fight really came down to him just being the more technical fighter and the more steady fighter throughout three rounds. That's really what this fight's going to come down to. Unless Abdul Razak Al-Hassan and maybe blast him with a knee coming up the middle in a clinch or maybe catch him with an elbow or something coming in maybe he'll be able to stop to kiriko other than a finish i really like to kiriko in the clinch i just like him being that kind of smothering fighter he's not going to give al hassan a lot of space to get off his power techniques and i do think to kiriko is the more likely to win this one by decision I mean, for Al Hassan, you can kind of point to the fact that he did miss weight against Muriel Lazez, weighed in at 174 pounds, and he also missed weight against Chaos Williams, 172.5 in that one. And for D. Kiriko, like, he lost to Zach Cummings, and that wasn't that long ago, but he also had a competitive fight against, he also had a competitive fight against Mahmoud Muradov, who's on this card too. So that's that's the weird thing. And then he, he lost the decision to Kevin Holland, but Holland's was really good at, at the time. Is he the middleweight version of John McDassie? Like, he's sound defensively. He doesn't really spin as much, but you know what I mean? Like, he's just kind of good across the board. He might not be as flashy as McDassie, but the thing I think about with DiCirico is the striking defense. We missed the boat on this one, Matt, because Alessio DiCirico opened a minus 155. He's a minus 224 right now. Al Hassan opened a plus 125. He's plus 181. Over on Topology, 824 votes, 82% DiCirico. 68% by decision for the 18% that have Al Hassan, 69% by knockout. Obviously, he has that knockout ability. For Alessio Diakirico, he has been finished one time in his career. It was by first round submission, Matt, to your boy, Eric Spicely. Eric Spicely. He also has a loss to Boyan Velichkovich, too. I know he's your guy, too. I, I think if Takiriko, again, can just not get knocked out, he should be able to win this fight. I do worry about Al Hassan's training camp. And again, I, or sorry, cardio. And I will admit, yes, the training camp switch is probably great for him because, again, the one big issue he does have is the cardio. So if he's able to fix that, then maybe that will help him with all the other aspects of his game. I just don't think one camp is enough to really bridge the gap between him and Takiriko when it comes to in-cage cardio. All right, Matt. Well, both of us going with Italy's Alessio Di Chirico. Can't wait for that fight. We got all sorts of great ones in 185 pounds, including the next fight that's on the card. As it stands, you have Gerald Mearshart taking on Mahmoud Muradov. I can't wait for that fight. This is an awesome card. You're not going to want to miss any of the other videos that we have out there. So keep locked in with Fight Night Picks. And as we always say... Big time fight at 185 pounds this weekend. We have Mahmoud Murata taking on Gerald Mearshart. Matt, Gerald Mearshart, rest in peace, probably feels a little bit like Nate Dogg and Tupac's All About You because it goes a little bit like this. Every other city we go, every other video, no matter where we go, I see the same foe. Because for Gerald Mearshart, they just keep lining him up with these guys that can absolutely box his ears in. And sometimes, like an Oscar Piata, he can get the win on the Ultimate Fighter finale. And sometimes he gets Hamzat Shemaev, and he gets KTFO, as the kids say, as they type out on the socials. Matt, for Gerald Mearshart, this guy is a grappler to the nth degree. He has good sneaky cardio for the middleweight division. He has decent takedown abilities. And if you look at it for Gerald Mearshart, as I make a Matt-type mistake there 
and just continue to say his name over and over again. His last fight, he took on Bartosz Fabinski, judo's best. And Gerald Mearshart submits him easily. I said before that fight, either Bartosz gets a takedown and gets that top position with his shoulders and his heavy pressure, or Gerald Mearshart beats him by defensive submission. One of those things happened. And he beat him by submission in that fight. So for Mearshart, he definitely is a great grappler. He's taking on the money team's own uh, great fighter in Mahmoud Muradov. This is a guy representing Uzbekistan, where we continue to see that Uzbek uh, invasion in MMA. He has great boxing. He has a great L-step. He is quick to the punch. He can definitely cut the cage well. He can also throw that lead hook out there to cut distance, to then throw his right hand out there. He's such a special fighter. And if you really want a good clip, of a Mahmoud Muradov video from the Fight Night Picks Anthology. Insert Matt's Price is Right clip. And, and you know that game in uh, The Price is Right where it's like... So for Mahmoud Muradov, really, really special fighter. For Gerald Mearshart, this guy, we've seen him out of Rufus Sport in the past. And don't get me wrong, he's still there. But I saw he took the trip down to uh, Florida not that long ago to get Philip Rowe ready for his last fight. Hey, Rowe. Wow, looked absolutely amazing. So maybe there is a big time future. And I think that there will be for uh, Gerald Mearshart in coaching when he's done fighting. But Mearshart, really special grappler. Mahmoud Muradov, really special fighter. Great defensive hips, really good takedown defense. I'm not afraid of him on the ground. I think he's a future top 15 fighter. I think he's going to move up the rankings. I think he's great. Could Mahmoud Muradov fight Bruno Silva next? It's just no, an I idea, think, but I think it's a gonna pretty get a good one. Fighter. He's going to get a rank fighter. Yeah, and, hey, you're probably right. But just for me, if Matt Allen could have won this year, that would probably be it. It'd be a great fight. And I have no idea who would win. I just know it wouldn't go to a judge's decision. Adelaide Bird could sit at home. We wouldn't really need her to mess one up. And here's the problem. And you really did set it up perfectly. They keep on giving Gerald Mearshart these absolute monsters. And it's time to stop. Insert the filthy Frank clip. Because it really is. Like, he's had to go through this gauntlet before. And he's had mixed results. Because, hey, sometimes Gerald Mearshart's been able to beat the young up-and-comer. I always go back to the Duran Wynn fight because people were hyping Duran went up hey he's kind of like daniel cormier i understand he's short and fat but it's kind of good sometimes that's what they were saying gerald mearshart proved in that fight though that i have really good cardio and he had sneaky uh stand up in that fight that's really what set up the sequence for him to finish it was it was a left straight hurts win gets him to the ground then submits him that's really where gerald mearshart's at his best where he's putting his combinations together and he's landing some straight shots and he's forcing his opponent to shoot on him because the thing about Gerald Mearshart is he's a great grappler he is not a great wrestler though and I really think that that's going to be to his detriment in this fight he can out wrestle guys who are good strikers but Gerald Mearshart always does have trouble against guys who have a wrestling background even look at the Ian Heinish fight I know Ian Heinish showed up Bangkok ready for that fight but still Heinish wrestling background he was really able to defend uh the takedowns of Mearshart beat him up on the feet isn't that all of Mahmoud Muradov's game? It's, hey, I'm going to defend the takedowns and beat you up on the feet. And this is the problem with Gerald Mearshart. What is my favorite attribute a fighter can have? It is speed. Speed kills in the cage and outside of the cage. The problem is that Mahmoud Muradov is way faster than Gerald Mearshart. When Mearshart throws strikes, he's so slow rechambering them that Muradov should be able to land one of those big shots. From him. And we've kind of seen this before. We were talking about before you were saying this could look like the Hamzat Shemaev fight. Even with Mahmoud Muradov, it's kind of interesting. Go back to the Trevor Smith fight. 
What he did to Trevor Smith was gross. It wasn't that fun to watch. He flatlined him, and it was because Trevor Smith was extending his punches, and he wasn't bringing them back in time. And the great thing about Muradov is he's comfortable in those close-range pockets. I'm not worried that he's going to get into the pocket and then get clipped because of it. I think he's going to go into the pocket and then be the one doing the damage. And against Mearshart, I think those opportunities are going to show themselves for him to do the damage. Wait. To give you an idea, and I mean, you don't have to go back and watch the video. I'll eat the humble pie. I had the Muradov fight against Andrew Sanchez as really close. You picked Muradov. I picked Andrew Sanchez because he's got that two-time NAIA championship status from the wrestling. He has that stand-up ability now with his weird karate stance. But if he went for the wrestling, if he just went to his roots, like the old Andrew Sanchez that used to really kind of not conserve his gas tank. Who would get tired in three minutes. I thought Andrew Sanchez would have a great opportunity to win that fight. Muradov won it. He just continues to win against good level fight. Again, Trevor Smith, wherever you, you find him, you find him. But you look at it so far in the UFC, DiCirico, Trevor Smith, Andrew Sanchez, Ramir Shart, the five on in, Anders, split decision loss, Duran win, Ian Heinish, Hamzat Shemaev, and then he beats Bartosz Fabinski, and that's a great win. But Bartosz Fabinski doesn't fight anything like Mahmoud Muradov. And I think Muradov's one of those kryptonite X-Factor guys. And I think a lot of people that were betting on this fight thought that too, because he went from a minus 235 at open to a minus 531 for Mearshart open from a, two, a plus 200 to a plus 384. I haven't looked at the topology votes. Let's play a game, Matt, of you referenced Plinko before. Are we going right side of the board or left side of the board? Right side is 95% have Muradov. You think it's over or under 95%? I think it'll be like 93. So I'll say under, but just slightly. 92% have Muradov to win, 85% by knockout. For the 8% that have Mearshart, 56% by submission. I'm in the 92%. Um, yeah, I've got I've got Mahmoud Muradov in this fight. I think this launches him into a fight. I know Brendan Allen was looking for a big fight and he was looking for a really big name. Who did he want? He wanted uh, last weekend's main event. Paul Craig. Not? Or Paul yeah, Craig. He was calling out guys at light heavyweight too, yeah. I, I think Mahmoud Muradov, Brendan Allen's a fight to make at 185 pounds. I think that's a great fight. Yeah, and again, I think Muradov's probably going to win this one by stoppage. I know I said that about Cannoneer Gaslam and did not come true, but again, Muradov's got that kind of power, and I don't think Mearshart's the type of guy who can really absorb those shots round after round. Because that's the thing about Muradov. He doesn't just have the power in that first round because it is cl really clean technique. He's got great power in the second and third round as well. Matt, both of us going with Ankos MMA's own, Uzbekistan's own, Mahmoud Muradov to get the win. I can't wait for this fight because, hey, Jeremy Mearshart wins. I mean, that's two big ones in a row. But we've got a big-time card coming up. Andre Petrovsky is taking on a really tough out. In Michael Gilmore, you've got the Ultimate Fighter finale at 185 pounds. Battle taking on Urbina. And then in the main event, oh boy. Edson Barboza taking on Giga Chikadze. You're not going to want to miss that. Keep locked in with Fight Night Picks, as we always say. Let's get into it. Big time fight coming up this weekend in a little bit of what seems like a short notice affair. We have Andre Petrosky taking on Michael Gilmore Matt. It's spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-L. Is it Michiel? Is it Michelle? Is it Michael? Is it Mick? 
It isn't Mike. I don't know, but I will tell you that that's how to properly uh, spell it. And I'm just going off of his Instagram page, off his Facebook page that's out there. And props to Michael Gilmore. I mean, this is a guy that's representing Murcielago MMA out of Michigan. He's a guy that ended up being a short notice call up to the ultimate fighter. He was actually an alternate. And I wrote it down in my notes, Matt. This is a guy that went to high school in Arizona with Dominic Cruz, got back into MMA because Dominic Cruz was in a WEC show. So that's what brought him back into it. WKC karate champion in 2019 at welterweight. Uh, they spelled his name as M I C H A E L. It's E A L. I like, he probably gets sick and tired of that one. I'm not making fun of it, but he's a teammate of Joaquin Buckley. Um, I've seen Daquan Townsend or he, I was going to say Daquan Townsend in his corner. I've seen Michael Gilmore in Daquan Townsend's corner. Gilmore's actually been in a lot of different UFC guys' corners in the past, which I think is always neat to see. I talk about that with guys like Michael Chiesa, like uh, Michael Johnson, so on and so forth. But for Gilmore, he had that Daniel Cormier opportunity as an Ultimate Fighter alternate where they brought him in. He ends up losing in the first round against Gilbert Urbina in the first bit of the bracket in this middleweight season. Um, but I mean, this is a guy that quit his job to be there, like at 34 years old and took on, like, that, that's crazy to see. He went eight and two as an amateur with a win over chaos Williams, who he now trains with. And I mean, six and three is a pro five of his losses, pro and amateur by finish four of them by submission one by TKO or KO. I just want to ask you this before we get into Andre Petrosky, who's definitely going to steal a lot of the, the thunder this week, but what did you see out of Michael Gilmore that you liked coming into this week? You bring up his karate. He does move well on the feet. He is a really dynamic guy because he can strike forwards and backwards. Oh, and sorry, he's got good wrestling that. too. He's got he's got good exactly. wrestling that goes with it as well. I would say, like, if we're gonna 2K badge this, he's kind of like the silver version of Kyler Phillips. Now, I understand Kyler Phillips to be in like the gold or hall of fame, but it is kind of that unique combination. I don't look at Michael Gilmore as I, a karate wrestler like GSP, for instance, I look at him more as the karate and then the wrestling because it will be really interesting with Gilmore. He's a guy who likes to pressure his opponents quite a bit, but when he's the one moving backwards, he can kind of be the sniper with some of his shots. Again, I don't want to bring up Conor McGregor's knockout of Jose Aldo, but again, it's something he can kind of do moving backwards. He's someone who can counter with straight shots coming down the middle, and that'll be really interesting against a guy like Petrosky because. Petrovsky is by far the more powerful striker in this fight. And that's what this fight's really going to come down to. I know a lot of people are probably no, down on Petrovsky because of his last fight against. You're breaking up it, bad. It's, it, yeah, it's it's not my internet. But if you look at it for Petrovsky, th this is squarely going to depend on his wrestling in this one. I mean, this is a guy that it, it's karate versus collegiate wrestling. The other crazy thing is the fact that. How crazy is it that this was one of Team Ortega's guys? This was his second pick in Andre Petrovsky versus, again, a guy that came as an, in as an alternate to replace Miles Hunsinger. And if you look at it for Petrovsky, this is a guy, 7-1 and one as an amateur between 2016 and 2018. Between 2018 and now 5-1, and one, three wins by knockout, two by submission. Coming out of uh, Henzo Gracie's in Philly. Yeah, Pat Sabatini also in this card from that gym. But Matt, Sabatini, Sean Brady, who was getting ready to fight Kevin Lee this weekend, Jonathan Webb, Jeremiah Wells, like so many great fighters. He was a guy that finished, what, fifth, third, and second at state uh, in high school. So you like to see that out of his wrestling. Pennsylvania, obviously known for the wrestling in high school. He went to University of North Carolina. Then he went to Bloomsburg in Pennsylvania. Then I hope I just don't mispronounce this one, but I think it's Kutztown. 
Is that it? K-U-T-Z town uh, in D2 after that. that. But if you look at it, I mean, there was a great breakdown skill-wise by Ed Gallo. Everybody by now should know him. Uh, He did this piece over with Bloody Elbow. He's definitely a great follow on Twitter. You can follow him all over the place. But he mentioned that Petrovsky does a really good job with his feints. And then he'll also use an overhand to kind of work to drop levels and then take like a single leg, take a take a, a knee pick, an ankle pick, like maybe not an ankle pick, but a knee pick or the single leg. He does a lot of things really well there. Then the other thing that I kind of saw in my tape study for this one, he does a really good job to strike to clinch. We see a lot of wrestlers that do that. Some guys don't have success. They get caught by straight shots. He did that against Aaron Jeffrey. He beat him in the first round. And listen, I'm Canadian, so what am I going to say about Aaron Jeffrey? Aaron Jeffrey's our guy, but Jeffrey just kind of outlasted him. I mean, he did did a good job. He got uh, out-wrestled and reversed, just reversed in the second round of that one, hammered out on top, he gets back up, and then eventually he ends up getting finished. But overall, Brian Ortega wanted to see more movement out of Andre Petrowski when he was standing, and I think that's one of those ones where it's the same thing when he lost to Brian Battle in The Ultimate Fighter. He's like wrestling, 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 and then he gets caught in a defensive submission. What was it? A head and arm choke, and he gets finished again. So it's one of those ones. If he had a little that, bit and more that's flash flair, then then he might win more. Exactly. Like Petrovsky's worst nightmare is a guy like Gerald Mearshart, because if he did move quite a bit more on the feet, then you would like him. This is the thing about Gilmore. We've kind of seen him lose to opponents like this in the past. Like, I do think the pressure on Petrovsky's going to eventually get to Gilmore. And it will be interesting, though. Can he catch him on the way in? It's going to be interesting. I don't think he can personally. And again, I think the fact that he doesn't have the defensive missions game will allow Petrovsky to continue to go for those takedowns because you said it. It is the strike into the takedown factor. And if Gilmore is constantly opening himself up, going for the counter, when Petrovsky's putting his head down, it might even open himself up to getting clipped by one of those big shots. And again, if he gets clipped by a big shot and then Petrovsky gets on top, I could more likely see him winning by, uh, via ground and pound finish. I wouldn't be surprised at all by that. It's just This is one of those fights where this is a very Tuesday night contenders fight for the UFC to be putting on because well- Petrovsky is such a heavy favorite. I was listening, and I'll give shouts where it's due, um, to the MMA Odds Breaker show before we came on uh, with Adam Martin and Marcel Dorf. Everybody knows those two guys, and I, I would say both friends of the show. Um, but Marcel kind of alluded to the fact that it seemed like, and again, I'm just we're just speculating. This is all alleged, whatever adage I can add here. But it seemed like Petrosky was going to take on Gilbert Urbina in the finals. And then ultimately you have Treshawn Gore falls out or Bina gets the fight in the finale. So they bring back Gilmore, who, again, he was an alternate. It was a super short notice call up that he ended up getting to make it into the season. So now he gets an opportunity to me. You say contender series. It feels more like a, a Bellator type prelim move to have a fight like this because it's definitely going to be like a one and done for either guy. I think a Petrosky loses all he has to do, go back to the regional scene, rattle off a few more wins. You're on contender series for a guy like Gilmore. He wins. They might, I, this would sound silly because this is a true UFC fight, but I bet you if he wins, he might get like a developmental deal or a, a Dana White's contender series. It sounds silly because he's 34 already, but it's just an odd spot for both guys. The line on this one, Petrowski open a minus 175. He's a minus 511 on best fight odds. Gilmore open a plus 145. He's plus 372. I think it really comes down to can Petrosky get him down and finish him in the first or second round, or does Gilmore outlast him? Because 
I mean, Petrowski's a guy that used to wrestle. He started wrestling at 174 pounds. Gilmore will be the smaller guy in the cage. I mean, you look at the picture that I put up, it's Petrowski holding a dumbbell that's giant and Gilmore just doing a regular fight pose. But uh, I look at this one, Matt, topology votes, not even close. 835 total votes, 94% Petrowski, 65% by submission. For the 6% that have Gilmore, 47% by decision, 31% by knockout. I, I mean... It's tough for me to go with Gilmore here. Like you, you took a fight on short notice. Great that he gets the opportunity in this one. He either lands a lucky shot or he outlasts him. But uh, Petrowski is one of those guys. Like this feels like a, a big setup fight for him to get into the UFC. It feels like like we've had guys that made it to the UFC even though they didn't win or they didn't do that great on the Ultimate Fighter. Like here you go, here's your shot. So to me, it feels like one of those. Yeah, I agree 100%. Again, it's a great story for Gilmore, but this is a really, really tough stylistic matchup for him. And again, you kind of mentioned the final nail in the coffin. He will be the smaller guy in this fight. If Petrowski is able to get a hold of him and really start to grapple him early and often, it's not going to help Gilmore's gas tank being the smaller guy underneath, trying to get back up constantly. I like Petrowski quite a bit in this one. You know, to me, it kind of feels like, uh, who do we have that fight? It was, uh, geez, Greece's Andreas Mikhailidis when he went to take on Modestus Bukowskis. It was like, yeah, but he's a smaller guy, and the other guy hits hard, and it's just, it was a weird one. So, yeah, both of us, Matt, going with Petrosky to get the win in this one. I know he's a big favorite, but, uh, yeah, I mean, really feels like his opportunity to shine, Matt. Our next fight on the card Kevin Lee, the return of the future champ, taking on Dana Rodriguez. We got a great card ahead. Uh, Tertios taking on High Stand. You've got Battle taking on a really, really tough out in Urbina. And then in the main event, Barboza taking on Chikadze. You're not going to want to miss that. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. And as we always say, let's get, let's into, get it. into it. Big time fight coming up this weekend at 170 pounds. We have the return of the future champ at 155 pounds. Habib's never faced wrestling like Kevin Lee's, and we'll see if that happens anytime soon down the line. I doubt it. But for Kevin Lee, he makes his return his last time out, loses to Charles Oliveira in Brazil in the throes of the beginning of the pandemic. And for Kevin Lee, six of his last seven fights have been main events. He's main event at a pay-per-view and the one card that he wasn't the main event, he was on the main card of UFC 244. That was the BMF fight. That was Masvidal versus Diaz. He's got a weird one coming in, right? Like he talked about it in the Ariel Hawani interview. The fact that he had the rib injury and in training. Don't like to hear that out of a guy. Uh, listen, he's had the two knee surgeries. So my question really is, Coming off of two knee surgeries, are you like RG3 or are you like Tom Brady? I don't know which one we're going to get. I assume that his knees are back, but it, 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 it's been a long time, but it still almost feels too soon. It's a weird one. Did Tom Brady tear his ACL? I didn't know that. No, he tore his MCL and then he played through the entire year and won a Super Bowl. So MCL's not that big of a deal. Like compared to your ACLs, that holds everything together. This is the problem with Kevin Lee. He's an explosive athlete who relies on his athleticism. The difference is, okay, if a guy like Kevin Durant tears his Achilles, it's not that big of a deal because he can still shoot really well. He can still dribble really well. Like he can still do a lot of things stationary that he doesn't need all of his explosiveness for. That's fine. And that's good when you're a guy like Kevin Durant. 
Kevin Lee, when you think about Kevin Lee highlights, it's big overhands, head kicks, big double leg takedowns where he's picking guys up over his head and slamming them down. It's not technique oriented. It is a lot of just him brute strengthening his way through fights. And it's interesting because we've seen like seven different versions of Kevin Lee throughout his career. It is kind of weird. We saw the initial Kevin Lee who really couldn't strike very much, relied a lot on his wrestling and his grappling. And then it felt like I'm going to say probably the Francisco Trinaldo fight. It felt like that fight, his striking, at least got to a level where he was more comfortable with it. I know Trinaldo hits him with a few good shots early on, but that's kind of my point. Before if Kevin Lee got hit with a few good shots, he would immediately just shoot in for a dumb takedown. And it could leave him open sometimes, and he could get hurt. At least in the Trinaldo fight, he works his way to his back, he submits him, and he overcomes adversity against a Francisco Trinaldo who at any age, be it 36, be it 46, he's a tricky fighter to beat. Then he goes into his main event against Michael Chiesa. And I'll be honest, I didn't think that highly of Michael Chiesa's skill set leading into that that fight because he's not an overly consistent exactly but he's just not an overly consistent fighter but if Michael Case is good at anything it is his offensive submission game he submitted guys like Bill Daryush in the past Jim Miller like some really really high level BJJ aces it's not just like Michael Case that gets tapped out by other top level guys because I feel like that's the narrative that's out there right now and it's not really true he dominated Michael Case on the mat especially with his ground and pound but again that fight to me comes down to Kevin Lee is much more physically strong than Michael Chiesa. Even if their grappling kind of levels each other out, you can just tell that when Kevin Lee got on top of Michael Chiesa, Chiesa couldn't break the grips the same way that Kevin Lee could break Michael Chiesa's grip. He brutally ground and pounds him, and then he gets that kind of fluky submission win. Listen, he was probably going to get the submission. I understand it was near the end of the round, but still, he was doing very well leading up to that. My question for Kevin Lee, I guess, is, is he going going to stay at 170 pounds forever because Dana Rodriguez, I would argue, is the biggest fighter he's ever fought. Dana Rodriguez is a legit welterweight, and yes, Kevin Lee's fought welterweights in the past, but even look at the guys at welterweight who he fought. It's Rafael Dos Anjos, a former lightweight. Now, Michael Chiesa was at lightweight at the time, but I'm going to kind of include him in that, like, tweener category because that's really what Kevin Lee is. Kevin Lee is an in-betweener. He cuts too much weight to make lightweight, I think, but he's a little bit too small for those big guys at welterweight, and I think that this fight's going to come down a lot to the size of Daniel Rodriguez defending those takedowns of Kevin Lee. If you look at it, Kevin Lee said with Ariel Hawani that he weighed 183 pounds on Monday. Uh, he was really weird with the Keith Lee question. Like if I absolutely hated Matt, I'd still probably answer a question about him. But Ariel was like, hey, how did you, you know, what did you think of your brother fighting here recently? And Kevin's like, I don't want to talk about it. We're our own people. What? Like you've been in his corner. What happened there? And then the other question was um, whether or not he was training in Canada. He is not training in Canada. He's doing some video chatting with Faraz Sahabi, uh, but he's training a lot with my guy, Mr. No Sleeve, Dewey Cooper. And listen, Dewey Cooper brought Francis Ngannou to a championship, and that's factual. You? you can't dispute that. That is fact. So I, I don't know. I look at this. For Daniel Rodriguez, great kickboxer. Really, really good that way. He's also great at throwing volume. And if you look at it, on a great run since he joined the UFC, outside of the UFC, poor level of competition that he faced, but he still beat them. But he still beat them in the ways that you'd like to see him win those fights. And then in the UFC, his, what, his lone loss? is to Nicholas Dalby, where I thought that he won that fight. But at the same time, I thought that Dwight Grant knocked him out and that Riff War Tyone should have ended the fight earlier. So it is a little tricky that way. Now, Matt, Kevin Lee is a slight favorite. He opened a minus 130. He's minus 151 right now. For D-Rod, open a plus 110. He's a plus 125. 
for Daniel Rodriguez, the other thing that I really like out of what I've seen recently, and the guys from this gym have not been winning fights. Kiesa hasn't won. Uh, who else is training out of there? Sasha Plotnikov didn't win his fight and didn't look all that great in this one aspect. So hopefully Daniel Rodriguez can buck the trend, but he's been training at Syndicate. I do still like that quality of training partner there for him. This fight really does come down to the takedown defense of Daniel Rodriguez because the interesting thing about Kevin Lee, and I think he has made improvements as a striker. He's not a good defensive striker whatsoever. Like I call people out when they say, oh, this guy has great boxing, but then you look and they get hit like it's going into style. Like Calvin Cater's an okay boxer. If you get hit a lot, though, by punches, it means that, you know, that is a part of the boxing game is your ability to defend shots in the feet. And the thing about Kevin Lee, they bring it up in the broadcast, and ever since they have, it's stuck in my mind. Kevin Lee will switch his stances quite a bit. And let's even uh, project a little bit forward to the main event. Edson Barbosa is a guy who will switch his stances. But defensively, he's pretty much the same both ways. He can throw the same kind of strikes from both stances. Kevin Lee has a much more kick-heavy game when he is in the southpaw stance because he has a really powerful uh, southpaw kick to the body and to the head. He proved that in the Gregor Gillespie fight. But even before that, he just has a really good left kick to the body. The issue is that if you go back and look at the second Ally Quinta fight, when he's southpaw, he gets boxed up bad. I, I don't really know what the issue is. It just must be a different look for him. But defensively, he does suffer quite a bit in that southpaw position. And I, I think Kevin Lee's the type of guy who he's a good striker against guys who are primary grapplers. But I don't think he can go out there and outstrike guys like Daniel Rodriguez, who is a big, big, strong welterweight. Because let's say Kevin Lee gets into a good, clean boxing situation with a guy like Daniel Rodriguez. Let's say even Kevin Lee lands three strikes and Daniel Rodriguez lands one. That one shot from Daniel Rodriguez is a much higher likelihood of putting the light side of Kevin Lee than any of the strikes Kevin Lee's thrown at D-Rod. Well, the weird thing is, you know, if you're Kevin Lee and you're talking about your rib injuries and how they're better and this, that, and the other, I would think in my mind, okay, if I'm Daniel Rodriguez, I might target that. But really, that could be a negative because if he starts throwing kicks to the body, Lee can catch them or at least anticipate them and then work it into a takedown. I mean, again, Kevin Lee, slight favorite in this one. Daniel Rodriguez, the underdog, ran a plus 130. If we look at those topology votes, they're really close. I mean, 943 total votes right now, 55% Lee, 68% by decision for the 45% that I have Rodriguez, 43% decision, 47% by knockout. I think this one's going to go to a decision. I think Daniel Rodriguez has good defensive wrestling. I think the volume might play a factor. I do actually have, as as much as I've kind of talked about it both ways, I kind of have a hard time with this one, not just because of where the line is, but Kevin Lee at his best is top five championship material at 185 pounds. That's, or sorry, 155 pounds. That's not controversial. <laughs> and I think he's, I think, I think he's it is. a quality. It, I, think, I think you can't lose a decision a to ally Quentin be a top five guy, I don't think. I, I think he's a quality guy at 170 pounds now. He was getting ready for a fight against Sean Brady back in July. Then he was getting ready for a fight against Sean Brady coming up now. There were different names that were thrown out there. At least still calling out weird names. Like Lee, you know, doing he's doing the Kevin Lee thing. It's like he never went away. But Daniel Rodriguez is interesting. His last two opponents, and I say that, but he was booked to take on Abubakar Nurmagomedov, who, listen, did his boxing and striking look amazing against a good striker, Jared Gooden? Yes, yes, it did. Look at what Gooden did in his last fight against Niklas Stutz, if you want a good example of how good Jared Gooden is. He was so much worried about the takedown attempts from Nurmagomedov that he couldn't strike at all. 
Sonar Magomedov looked great. So if you're Daniel Rodriguez and the team at Syndicate, that game plan has to be really weird getting ready for a guy like Nurmagomedov. You have to be defensively sound with the takedowns. You have to work your striking. You have to really come up with a complete game plan, but there's always the threat of the takedown. Then you get a short-notice opponent of Preston Parsons. What's Preston Parsons good at? Single shots for power to close distance to take guys down and submit them. What's Kevin Lee do? Well, he's a good striker but he's going to work a lot of those takedowns for those reasons. I think that's why I'm going with Daniel Rodriguez, but again, not one of the most confident picks on this card. I do have it as a pretty well of 50 50 because I can definitely see Kevin Lee going out there looking like the Kevin Lee of old and stealing the show. I just, I worry about the injuries and I like the wins out of Rodriguez and the freshness there. Kevin Lee might be able to get a submission win. I could more than likely see him winning this yeah. by rear naked choke without a doubt, but that's how he's going to have to do it. He's going to have to use his top pressure, tire out Dana Rodriguez, and then submit him. Because just on the mat, I don't think Dana Rodriguez is that bad of a grappler. It, it's weird because I don't think he's an amazing grappler off of his back. It really is his defensive submission ability that really hinders his opponents from shooting a high level of volume takedowns. It's kind of like what I said when Vicente Luque fought Michael Case. And I will take this opportunity to pat myself on the back a bit. I did say, hey. Vicente Luque has got a great Darce choke. And if Michael Case is susceptible to any submission, it is the Darce choke. Kevin Lee can get into a guillotine, but it's interesting. Dino Rodriguez could pull the Nick Lentz when he beat Will Brooks, where he goes for a guillotine, but like does it the wrong way three times just to make Will Brooks confident in shooting bad takedowns. And then once Will Brooks really gets dedicated to shooting a terrible takedown, Nick Lentz actually pulls in the guillotine and wins by, in a beautiful submission manner. D-Rod could set similar traps like that, which could at least force Kevin Lee to become more of a striker throughout the fight. Because if Kevin Lee's at least in the clinch, he should be winning minutes in this fight because he'll be the one pressing up Daniel Rodriguez up against the cage. I still like Rodriguez in this fight. I could see him landing a big shot and putting Kevin Lee out. I really could. Kevin Lee at 155 pounds has a hard time absorbing that power. Edson Barbosa is fighting at featherweight right now, and he almost flatlined Kevin Lee with a wheel kick. I understand Edson Barbosa could probably knock out some middleweights on the roster, so that might not be the greatest example ever, but you get the idea. Kevin Lee's been wobbled in the past, and it doesn't take a crazy power shot to hurt him. Jada Rodriguez has crazy power shots that can put you to sleep. It was the draining weight cuts. Matt, both of us going with D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez. In this fight, let us know below if you're going with the future champ, if you think Kevin Lee is going to get it done, or if you're riding with the BMF Ranch and Syndicate's own Daniel Rodriguez out of California. Matt, I absolutely love this fight. We got two Ultimate Fighter finales ahead at 135 pounds, 185, and at 145 in the main event, holy smokes, Barbosa Chikadze at five rounds. I can't wait for it. Keep locked in with Fight Name Picks, and as we always say, Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. It's back to school time, and we want to make sure you pack the essentials to have your best year yet. The Manscaped fourth generation performance package. Look at that. It's just that things are opening up. Be ready for whatever is in the daily schedule for you. It's the perfect package for your package and includes the brand new... Hit him with it. I'll dig around for it. Lawnmower 4.0, fellas. Go for the valedictorian of ball trimming. Join the over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com using the code FNP. Now, Matt, we've all been there before. I talk about it week in and week out. Do I shave out in the car? 
do I, I do I shave in the public restrooms? No, I don't. I shave in the comfort of my own home in the shower. And listen, with the lawnmower 4.0, the greatest part about it, the 4000K LED light. I've been there before. I bought the cheap department store trimmers. And A, you're not really supposed to use them in the shower. I mean, they are can, metal. You can get a little bit crazy, but normally what they'll do is they'll rust out. With the lawnmower 4.0, Look at that, pop the top off, but you can clean it out. You can oil the motor if you really need to, and you can get all of the gunk out of there. You pop it right back in, you're good to go. Now this week with these prediction videos, we're here right now filming our yeah. intros and our ads, but I will be away. We're gonna be split screen and that's tough to edit, but you know what's not tough to edit? It's great because I'm going to have this travel bag with me, this shed. If you pick up the Performance Package 4.0, you'll get that in the Manscaped Boxers. But the best part about the Lawnmower 4.0, other than the 4000K LED light, one, two, three. I'm going to go one, two, three. Look at that. Boom. The travel lock is on. And then you just got to go one, two, three. It goes the other way. Apparently, I didn't hit it three times. One, two, three. There we go. And now wow. we're good to go. So, all sorts of great stuff there. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And thanks to their advanced skin safe technology, it also allows you to shave your pencil down and customize your trim throughout additional guard lengths in sizes one to four. I have one of these guards here somewhere. Boom, there it is. And if you want to accentuate the pencil, you got to trim the hedges a little bit. Just a, just a little bit uh, of a foresight from me to you. Also included, you're going to get the weed whacker. And I'm at, I talked about it well, just about every week. And I need to use it just about every week. Because since I can remember, I've had nose hair issues. Wow. Getting in there. You can hear it because it works. So it really is great. It comes with that weed whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in both your nose and your ear. Luckily, I don't have ear hair problems yet. But the weed whacker, it's also waterproof and uses the 9,000 RPM motor powered by 360 degree rotary dual blade system. Proprietary skin safe technology there as well. If you pick up the performance package, you're also going to get the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. You spritz a little bit of that on. If you're going to have a long day, if you're wearing boxer briefs, if you're wearing khakis that are tight, this is a nice one. It's going to give you a fresh feel all day. And if you want to take it to the extreme, you can toss on a little bit of the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. It's like a salve. You just lather up, slap that stuff on. It's going to work great for you. So get 20% off and free shipping with code FNP at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code FNP at Manscaped.com. This year, graduate with a degree in clean balls from Manscaped. Matt, what's your favorite part of the Performance Package 4.0? I do really like the light, personally, because, again, when you are shaving in the shower, it does kind of suck if you can't see what you're doing. Because my last apartment, i got to be honest, the light was terrible in the bathroom. The light from that was probably better than the light coming from the ceiling. And I, it was just a really nice thing. I also like the battery life on it, too, because I'm someone who just kind of forgets to set it on the charger. Even though it is so convenient, it's only setting in my bathroom, I just kind of throw it into a drawer or back into the bag. So it is really nice to know that even if I haven't charged it for a little while, it normally is... Still good to go when I do need it. Nice charger that comes with it as well. Check them out. Support the show. Again, the promo code FNP. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. Big time fights at the top of the marquee. The finale of the Bantamweight and well, or middleweight season of the Ultimate Fighter. As well as Chikadze versus Barboza. Can't wait for it. Keep locked in with Fight Night Picks as we always say. Let's get into it. 
The Ultimate Fighter Revival. We're going to have our Bantamweight finale coming up this weekend. Team Ortega versus Team Volkanovski. Well, Matt, it's really Team Volkanovski versus Team Volkanovski versus Team Volkanovski versus Team Volkanovski. And Matt, the first of those matchups, this one is at Bantamweight. We have the former Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series alum, Ricky Tertios. He was the fifth overall pick on the team of uh, Volkanovski for this. Matt, who are some top five picks that you can think of in the NBA that have made giant marks of all time on the sport? You got any? Sure, easy. Michael Jordan, number three, greatest player of all time. Hakeem Olajuwon was drafted number one overall. Sam Bowie, second overall, Matt? one of the GOATs. None Anthony of that matters. Bennett. I asked. I asked for fifth overall picks. The best fifth, oh, fifth overall picks, picks of all time. Uh, Carmelo Trae Anthony Young, was fifth. Trey Young, Boogie, uh, Ricky Rubio, Vince Carter, Charles Barkley, Matt Brady, Highstand was picked seventh overall on the season. Your top seventh overall picks: Jamal Murray, Toronto Raptors legend Damon Stoudemire, and Steph Ooh. Curry. Matt Steph Curry, Ricky Tertios representing Gracie Baja, the Woodlands. That's Alex Morono's gym. This is Houston's own fighter. And listen, Houston has been on fire lately with fighters. I know Derek Lewis couldn't get it done against Cyril Gunn, but listen, I'm not going to slight him for that one. Ricky Tertios has also trained at Team Alpha Male in the past. And he's a really fun fighter because if you look at it on the season of the Ultimate Fighter, he was able to get wins over Mitch Raposo as well as uh, Sholignan. That was a huge win, too. I mean, that was one of those guys that was kind of like a dark horse to win the entire season. And if you looked at it for Tertios, he's just able to win in almost every single exchange. He's good at striking. He's good with his grappling. Sometimes he expends himself a little bit too early, but then he picks himself back up with like a second win closer to the end of the fight. So he's a really fun guy to watch there. He was on the first episode of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. He lost the decision to Boston Salmon. His other loss as a pro was in 2018 for the Fury FC Championship against Mana Martinez. It's also on this card, so that's a lot of fun. I think Ricky Tertios is a really, really good prospect. I think he's kind of bridging on that. You're not a prospect anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see how he makes out because Brady Heistan is a prospect. He's 22 years old. He represents sick jitsu from up in the Pacific Northwest. I know Michael Case is going to have a lot of great things to say about him. Sam Cecilia as well. But this is a guy that, like, I looked at him coming into the season and his wins, like, as a pro, had a combined win total of 1-24. and So it's not like he fought good guys. And the one good guy that he fought uh, was a really good fighter. But I just, it, it was really weird there. And so he comes in and you're like, okay, he's young. He's kind of green. He's got a lot of power. But then every single negative thing that I could pick on for Brady Heistan went away. Josh Reddinghouse is a really good fighter. You want to see good Josh Reddinghouse fights? Go out there. You're going to have to pay for them. They're going to be with Fight TV. But when he fights Sergey Morozov, like Josh Reddinghouse was that ringer of an American that goes over to Russia and they're like, ah, he's the American shoe. And he has some really good fights. Like, that's a big win. And then to beat Vince Murdoch, that was supposed to be in the UFC, and finish him by TKO. Now, I know Murdoch had a knee injury. And if you look at it, Brady Heistand said himself in an interview with Charlie Arnold with ESPN that he had his own meniscus and LCL tear. It's going to be interesting to see how Heistand overall comes back from the injury. I'm sure it was a while ago. But 
man, this guy wiped away any doubts I had in him in those two performances on the, on the show. And that normally doesn't happen for me. Yeah, Brady Heisted's a really, really good wrestler. And he's got great pressure, too, along with the wrestling. He's not somebody who is just going to shoot from halfway across the cage over and over and over again. He's got intelligent pressure. You know, like, he fights like someone who is older than just 22 and has his own six price fights. And here's the thing that I will say, and it's very similar to the last we broke it, or I guess the one before Danny Rodriguez. A lot more fighters nowadays have more of an extensive amateur career than in the past because a lot of the times guys would just have seven fights in the regional scene and that would kind of be their regional or that would be their amateur experience excuse me but with guys like brady heistand they are having five six seven fights before they do decide to turn pro and all that is valuable experience i know it was one of the first things i looked at too was you just look at the combined record of his opponents and it doesn't look all that great just on paper but once you actually do the deep dive into all of his skills i agree exactly with you he kind of erases all the question marks you have for him in the cage while he is fighting. I do like the pressure a lot. And it will be interesting because with Tertios, he's going to have way more success in the open space. He is one of those all or nothing fighters to where he's not afraid to shoot for a head kick followed by like a flying elbow or something. This fight really reminds me a lot. And this is weird because I think it was the last Ultimate Fighter finale that I may have watched. This fight does kind of remind me of Mike Trezano versus Luis Pena, where Tertios is that Luis Pena. He needs his space. He has good jiu-jitsu, good submissions, but he can be held down if Heistan is able to get on top. And I really feel like this fight comes down to a, really that simple equation. If Brady's able to get that first takedown, it's really going to tell you the story for the whole entire fight because I do think that his top pressure is at least consistent enough so that the judge won't immediately stand them up. And I don't know if Tertios will be able to get up off of his back. It will be interesting because... If you look at Ricky's Instagram, all he does is train jiu-jitsu by the looks of it, constantly in the gi, which is something that you really like in a matchup like this against such a high-level wrestler. But I do kind of agree with you. Hadouken is almost not even a prospect at this point. He has 12 fights, and they've all been against a pretty steady level of competition. So I almost look at this fight as like a guy who should be having like his UFC debut, maybe a co-main event on a Tuesday Night Contenders against a true legitimate ultimate fighter guy. And listen, I could swallow all these words. Maybe Brady Heiston goes out there like Habib Nurmagomedov, ankle picks Ricky and just beats the brakes off him. But I really look at Tertius as a guy who A, has all the experience in the world, but he can do more with less. And what I mean by saying that is, when, the, when they aren't doing anything in open space, he'll be the one constantly jabbing. He'll be the one putting combinations together. He'll be the one more likely to win the moments where neither guy's really having any major success. And for that reason, I kind of have to pick him to win this season of the Ultimate Fighter. So if we go over to the comment section, this fight, again, this one is legitness. And if you look at your middleweight finale, it's kind of weird and thrown together. But over in the comment section, threw it out there on YouTube, said tough finale at 135 LBS. Who's getting the contract and the crown at UFC Vegas 35? Bread. How's it going, Bread? Said Brady has UFC caliber athleticism, but he's a bit green still. So I got Ricky. Both guys are savages, though. Drew Cliff82 said, I got Ricky here for sure, but Brady surprised me in the semis. I picked him to beat his teammate in the first fight on the show, but I thought Murdoch would beat him. Who knows how much the knee injury factored into it, though? I was really looking forward to Trayshawn Gore facing Brian Battle, so on and so forth. Wyatt Kenny saying, going with Ricky to get the win. Also, Brady's first loss came to my coach. Chad and Heliger. I apologize to our Canadian brother there, Chad, because I can't pronounce his last name, so I'm sorry. But he's going to be fighting on Contender Series in September, so watch for him. Uh, and Matt, let's throw another one out there. Uh, William 
Recanatini, I apologize to you too, William, because I see you on Twitter all the time, but you can't bet against Ricky. This guy's a brawler. Matt, normally I'm pretty good with names. I study them. I do my best. But overall, you look at the odds for this one. Tertio's open a minus 170. He's a minus 167 right now. Uh, high stand, same thing. The odds have kind of moved around by a couple of points. And if you go over to the topology votes for this one, and I'm going to bring them up right now. Holy smokes. 872 total votes. 83% Tertio's. Uh, 76% by decision for the 17% that have high stand 58% by decision. I think Tertios is going to get the win here. And I think he's going to get it by decision too. This thing with Tertios, he's kind of like Doug McDermott in college, you know, like Doug McDermott was a senior by the like, time he went to like the Jim NBA. Like Jim or Fredette. Not like Jim or Fredette because the difference is that, uh, I, I forget who I was even talking about. Okay. Jim or Fredette's Dougie fine. McBuckets. Dougie McBuckets, there we go. The thing about Doug McDermott was that in college, he might have been way better than a lot of first-year guys, but it's only because he had those three extra years to develop. That's kind of thing with Tertios. Yes, he's having his UFC debut, but he's had a lot more time to really develop his skill set outside of the UFC before he kind of made his way over here. It's very reminiscent of, and people aren't going to like this because he's very, he's near the top of the division, Yuri Prohoshka. He was like, hey... I'm not just coming to the UFC to fight seven unranked guys before I get my way into the rankings. I'm going to make a name for myself. And when I'm ready to come to the UFC, it is off to the races. I want the Vulcan Ustamirs. I want the Dominic Reyes. Like, I want those top-level guys. Tertius is like, hey, I'm kind of cool with developing my skill set outside the UFC before I come over. So although High Stand might be able to have a higher ceiling in the future because he is only 22. That's the thing that we do have to remember. He might lose this fight and could get re-signed in two years. That's the other thing. He's a very, very young prospect and that's something we do have to remember. But again, I do like Tertios in this one. Matt, it's an absolutely great fight. We have your next Ultimate Fighter winner at Bantamweight to be Ricky Tertios, but it very well could be Brady Highstand as well. Both very highly touted prospects. I want to hear from everybody. Did you watch the Ultimate Fighter? What did you like most about the season? Are we on with some of these? Did somebody let the dogs out at the hotel that I'm staying at? Maybe they're barking profusely. But Matt, I absolutely love this fight. You're not going to want to miss the breakdown of the middleweight finale and that main event at 145 pounds. You've got Barboza taking on Chikadze. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. And as we always say, let's, let's get, in. get into it. It's a fight that we might not have wanted, but it's the fight that we're going to get. Unfortunately, Trayshawn Gore is out of his Ultimate Fighter finale. He was one of the four fighters that were going to be in the finales. The only one out of Team Ortega. Poor Brian Ortega. But if you do look at it, I mean, wow. That would have been a great fight against Brian Battle. Unfortunately, there you have the guy that lost by knockout to Gore in his last fight in the semis. You have Gilbert Urbina, brother of Hector Urbina, that was in the UFC and then on the Ultimate Fighter. Brother of Eli Hot Urbina. Luca. That was all over the place. Both of those guys. He was on the Ultimate Fighter and Dana White's Contender Series. But it's a really special family connection, obviously, for the Urbinas. Gilbert coming out of BMF Ranch, the camp. You might have heard of it. Daniel Rodriguez also on this card. But for Gilbert Urbina... There's a lot of things that I really like out of him, other than the fact that he's like one of the Stahl brothers in the NHL. Like, it's kind of like the Sutters. You ever listen to the Sutters from the NHL? I'm going to go a little off script here, but they're always like, oh, you know, brother Daryl, brother Mark, brother so-and-so. Like they reference them as, hey, brother. But I look at the way that Gilbert Urbina fights 
And it's a lot of fun. He switches stances. He throws a nice jab out there. He throws a nice front kick like that kind of prods to the stomach. He really softens his opponents up. And he's got great wrestling to back everything up. So if striking fails, he can wrestle. But you look at him the way that he fought against Gore. He got dropped by a jab like four times before he ended up getting finished. It was such a bad look in that fight that it's tough to get excited when he takes on a guy like Brian Battle. And listen, this is the odds on FNP favorite out of anybody this weekend to get a win. Like the fans can't get enough of them. I'm going to throw it on over to the YouTube community tab because people out there have answered and in full force. Drew Cliff 82 again said battle 100%. I would have picked Gore if he was still in there though. Uh, UFH says battle should definitely win. It'd be pretty funny for being a one, the tough finale after getting knocked out though, Aaron, the dog MMA, Brian battle was beating any of these guys in the final, uh, Kyle Kelly had battle to beat Gorn still having to beat Gilbert. I see battle winning on points. Great fight. There's a lot of different people out there that are picking battle to win. They're picking them, picking them on Instagram. They're picking them on my Twitter. I think it's a great fight, but Brian battle is one of those guys that might not have had a huge wrestling background coming into MMA, might not have had a huge extensive striking background coming into MMA. He just became this great MMA fighter through an extensive amateur career where he beat guys like Cody Brundage and Impa Kasanganai. He out-wrestled Impa Kasanganai as an amateur. Like This guy's career is almost like storybook. It's like, yeah, I'll do MMA, I guess. And then just become great at it. Like It's just crazy to see. So Brian Battle's got a great opportunity. I'd say the guy with obviously the more, maybe not polished skill set, but the guy with the experience in his corner, especially having his brothers on the show, Gilbert Urbina. It's a weird fight, but I, I really do like it. I think it's a good one. This should be an interesting fight. The issue is that this isn't the fight that we all really wanted. And that really is the problem. Because if Gore was against Battle, it would have been phenomenal. That's a fight I know I would have been really, really excited for. The problem with Urbina is, and this is a problem that I like, had with his brother fighting style too is he throws kicks without throwing combinations before or after he just throws kicks for the sake of throwing kicks sometimes and it will leave him open to punches on the other end even look at hector urbino fighting vicente luque he misses big he's huge for the weight class and he's throwing everything very wide there's not a lot of precision to his strikes and the same thing can be said for gilbert urbina if he is in there with very technical strikers i think they're always going to be able to get from point A to point B faster than he is if he isn't able to overwhelm them with sort of his wildness because he does have sort of an erratic way of fighting. It is a lot of like, you know, a lot of fast movements and whatnot, not to move like uh, our boy Ben Rothwell up a heavyweight, but there is a lot of unpredictability to what Urbina does. And again, I think that it, it does... It's a benefit for him, but when you fight those really, really good technicians, it, it's going to be a detriment. And Brian Battle's interesting because, like you said, really jack-of-all-trades, master of none. It is wild to go back and look at that Impic Sanganai win because Impic Sanganai is a monster on the mat. And I understand it's a very different fighter. Impic Sanganai is a much more improved guy, but still, it's a really good win to have. And the thing about Battle is, is he's good on the feet in the positions where guys who only have experience are good at like he can strike his way into the clinch he can throw those uppercuts on the inside of the clinch that will just score points and just will damage your opponent again i think you set it up almost perfectly like brian battle it's not storybook in a way that like francis and ganu came from the sand mines and then was homeless and all that but like just the fact that brian battle was able to pick up this sport and be so good at it so early on is fairly impressive well, I mean, to me, like, go back and watch his fight against Petrosky. Like, Petrosky's the guy that, it, I don't know if the UFC want him to be the, you know, the big kind of dark horse winner, if you want to say, out of the whole Ultimate Fighter. 
but Petrowski goes to take him down and he kind of grabs his leg and goes to pick him up in the air. And then battle just kind of weathers the storm and ultimately ends up with a nice head and arm choke to finish him. Like it was really fun to watch that fight and go, okay, Brian battle can hang with a really good wrestler. He can hang with the strikers. He can kind of do everything. Not to say that Gilbert Urbina can't. Gilbert Urbina is a really, really well-rounded guy with a lot of experience in his back pocket. I look at the odds. Battle somewhere in the range. He opened a minus 129. He's a minus 163 on best fight odds. Urbina opened a minus 101. He's a plus 136. Topology votes, they're not close. 851 total votes, 81% battle, 60% by decision for the 19% that have Urbina, 56% by decision. I think this fight's probably going to go to a decision. I know, you know, I just read that off the internet with the topology votes, but like in my mind, in my notes, I have this one to go to decision. And I think Brian Battle's going to be able to win out here. I think he's such a well-rounded fighter. I think he's one of those guys that, yeah, it might be because there's so much hype behind him. But from what I watched out of the season, this guy seems like the most UFC ready out of all of these guys, which again, that might be controversial. You might be a huge Petrowski fan, but I'll remind you that Brian Battle finished him. So I, I really do like battle here, and uh, I, I can't wait for this fight. Yeah, I think this should be a really good fight. And again, don't get down on it just because Urbina lost his last fight. Like, Entertainment-wise, this still should be a great co-main event. And again, these guys are fighting for the ultimate fighter title. This really does mean something. They're not just two guys in the prelims fighting to get another shot in the UFC. Like, this is a big deal to become the ultimate fighter champion. So Urbina has a massive opportunity, but again... I do have to pick Brian Battle. Like you said, I do feel like he is very UFC ready. That's a great way of putting it too. Sometimes in the NBA draft, here's a great example, and you might not like this. Jalen Suggs might be better in his rookie year than Scotty Burns. But when you look at both guys' ceiling in the long term, Scotty Burns should have a higher ceiling long term. That could be a reference to this fight as well. I like Brian Battle though. Owen Power is going to be a great player in the NHL. Can't wait for him to go back to college this year. All sorts of fun. Matt, we have a big time fight. Both of us going with your middleweight winner to be Brian Battle. I can't wait for this one. Great fights on the rest of the card. If you missed them already, you should go back and check them. But if you haven't, there's one left. Edson Barboza is taking on Giga Chikadze. It is a striker's paradise. It's a great end. It's a great cap to an ultimate fighter finale. You're not going to want to miss that one. So keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, as we always say. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. If you've been liking this stuff from Fight Night Picks, consider supporting the channel by utilizing the super thanks. All you have to do down below the video You toss in a little bit of bonus, you buy yourself an animated super thanks, and they will post the following public comment on your behalf. All sorts of different options out there. We'd certainly appreciate the support with the channel. You guys are definitely the best fans in all of MMA, and we appreciate each and every one of you. All sorts of great matchups littered throughout. We appreciate the continued support of the channel and the boys. Thanks so much. Without further ado, let's get into it. We've been spending most of our lives living in a striker's paradise. Welcome to Fight Night Picks. If this is the first time you joined in, we certainly appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Craig Allen FNP. You can find him on Instagram as well as the Twitterverse at Matt Allen FNP. Now, guys, I mean, listen, you know and love Edson Barboza. Maybe this is the first time that you've even heard of Giga Chikadze. This guy has been setting the world on fire since he's joined the UFC. His last loss was two. A really, really tough out, and we'll get to it later on. But, I mean, for Giga Chikadze, just continues to win 
13 and two, you look at the losses. I mean, he lost really early on to Gil Guardado back in 2015. He lost to Austin Springer on Dana White's contender series, but in the UFC, Wins over Brandon Davis, Jamal Emers, Irwin Rivera, Omar Morales, who's a great striker, Jamie Simmons, good wrestler, and Cub Swanson his last time out. Fredson Barboza, this guy's main event. This guy's had giant fights. He's won giant fights. He's a walking performance bonus. And yes, he did feature a dirty little losing streak. And yes, he did have to move down from 155 pounds where a lot of people thought it's over. It really is like this is the beginning of the end for Edson Barboza. But just like his fellow countryman, Jose Aldo, he moves down. And yeah, were there some growing pains? Sure. He fought Dan Ige. He lost by split decision. Did I have him winning that fight? Yeah. Did I have him winning against Paul Felder? Yeah, I did. But since then, he beat Maquan Amir Khani, pillar to post. And then he finished Shane Burgos, who has some of the best boxing and striking in MMA. And I don't think that's a crazy thing to say because his mix of power and speed is something that you don't often see at 145 pounds. Edson Barboza looks amazing and polished. Giga Chikadze, just one of those great pure strikers who really picks his shots and his times at excellent spots. I know I just kind of continued on what I had said before, but a former glory kickboxer in his own right, training out of King's MMA with Rafael Cordero. I mean, listen. He wouldn't be training Mike Tyson if he wasn't a good coach, right? But Kings is definitely one of those great gyms out there in MMA. Barboza coming out of American Top Team, likewise there. I love this fight, Matt. I know you're excited about it. Everybody out there is excited about it. So what can you tell us about this one? Everybody's excited for this fight, right? If you're not excited for this fight, you don't care about MMA. Because Edson Barbosa is probably the most exciting fighter in the UFC. There, I said it. Pound for pound, Edson Barbosa delivers more entertainment than anybody else in the roster. And uh, there might be other fighters with higher significant strike per minutes. But we don't judge all significant strikes the same way. The significance of the strikes of Edson Barbosa are absurd. He hurts people when he fights them. Like, there's no Jake Shieldsing when Edson Barbosa fights. You have to worry that maybe he's going to shoot a double leg and wait in half guard. If he does shoot a double leg takedown, A, he's got really good ground and pound from top position. It's kind of weird, but he is really good at ground and pound. And B, he's a great boxer too. This is something that I've got to get out of the way because a lot of people here are going to say, oh, Giga Chikaze, he's got the glory background, so he must be the better striker than Edson Barbosa. No, you're very wrong because Edson Barbosa is a unique MMA striker. He's built his game basically around not only his MMA IQ, but he's built his game around knowing whether or not his opponent's going to be moving to their left or to their right. The cool thing about Edson Barbosa is that he sets up his boxing with his kicks. A lot of people do it the other way around where, oh, I'm going to throw a jab or right hand, then I end it with a kick. Edson Barbosa starts chopping your legs down so that you're slower when you're boxing with him. Because the interesting thing about Edson Barbosa is that Exactly. Their hands come down. He throws a great left hook to the body. He's someone who always goes to the body, whether it's with his kicks or with his hands. And something I've said a lot about Edson Barbosa, and I used to get a lot of flack for it, but finally after the Shane Burgos fight, people are starting to agree with me. He's one of the best pure boxers in MMA. People look at the kicks and they forget about the punches. There's uh, The Ringer put a video called The Astonishing Evolution of Kevin Durant. And it's they have a quote in there that says, because he's so good offensively, people don't actually look at how good he is defensively. Like, he's good at everything. It's just he's so good at scoring, it kind of overshadows the fact that he's good at everything else. Edson Barbosa's kicks are so good that they overshadow the fact that he outboxed Dan Hooker, that he was able to out-combo and outlast Shane Burgos. Like, Edson Barbosa is that special kind of striker on the feet. And it's really interesting. 
even when you go through the losing streak, I think we can both agree. The Danny Gay fight, he probably should have won. Yes, he gets taken down a few times, and he has control on the mat. Great job to Danny Gay. But on the feet, it's not even close. Edson Barbosa hits Danny Gay with some, like, overhand elbows. He's hitting him with overhand rights. Like, he drops Danny Gay every round of that fight, and the judges still found a way to give him the loss. The thing about Giga Chikadze is he's not really a power striker. I know that's weird, and that might be a little controversial because the uh, Cubs-Swanson fight. And I went into the Cubs-Swanson fight saying this. You were sitting on a bit of a fence. Cubs-Swanson's a good striker. I remember vividly saying Giga Chikadze is going to get him out of there early. Like, I didn't think that fight was going to be competitive at all because Cubs-Swanson is really, really far past the hill. He's not the same durable fighter that he used to be to where he can eat seven shots just to give out two more. And he's always kind of been susceptible to the body kicks. So if you're going to beat Cubs-Swanson, you're probably going to beat him via a body kick. So I feel like everything just kind of lined up perfectly for Chikaze to look so good in that fight. Because the double-edged sword to Chikaze's game is, he had a close fight with Jamal Amherst. Like a close fight with Jamal Amherst. And I can tell you this for free. Edson Barbosa would knock out Jamal Amherst. I don't think they would have a very competitive fight whatsoever. I think Jamal Amherst would shoot for takedowns like Benil Daryush and probably end up on a poster similar to Benil Daryush. This is the thing with uh, Giga Chikadze. He has good but not great power, and he can get out-volumed himself. I don't like the fact that he's going to be at a disadvantage with the output against a guy like Edson Barbosa, because with most guys, Giga Chikadze will be the more powerful striker at range. I don't think he will be against Edson Barbosa. And the interesting thing is, even if Barbosa isn't having success at the kicking range, because the other thing I will say is, Chikadze checks leg kicks better than most guys Edson Barbosa has fought in the past. But the flip side of that is Edson Barbosa is the fastest switch kick to the body I've ever seen. And that is a direct quote from Joe Rogan, but it's also very true. He's someone who goes to the body and the legs. We say this a lot. Guys have those like water in the basement to quote Teddy Atlas. And most of the time it's I shoot a lot of leg kicks or I go to the body a lot. Most guys don't do both. Edson Barbosa is somebody who will do both. And I think that's going to be a big factor in this fight. At Fight Night Picks, we used to be maybe too heavy into the numbers, then at some points not heavy enough into the numbers, Matt. I want to get into the numbers because you talked about the volume. This could be deceiving. Striking accuracy for both of these guys, 44% clip. Striking defense for Barboza, 59% clip. For Giga Chikadze, 60% clip. Now again, Barboza's been around for a very long time. Oh, way better, guys. Those, those metrics are still cool. Barboza lands 4.16 significant strikes per minute. The UFC average is 3.31. Chikadze lands 3.55. So you got about what? 0.6 of an extra shot per minute from Barboza than you have from Chikadze. The absorb per minute stat. Chikadze absorbs 2.67. That's below the UFC average, which is 3.31. Barboza absorbs 4.15. But Chikadze's... He fought Khabib Nurmagomedov. Chikadze's output doesn't match the absorbed per minute stat for Barboza, and Barboza is throwing and accepting damage at a what? 0.01 clip, like Greg, difference. Which Kevin Lee. You don't love to see Chikadze's it. However, what I'm saying, the volume is definitely in the favor of um, Edson Barboza in this one. And again, takedowns, call it negligible. I would think if Edson Barboza takes the fight to the mat, then there's going to be issues. And if you remember, Giga Chikadze's last win against Austin Springer. What did he do? He's fighting a guy with a ground game and Giga goes for the takedowns and tries to like, he was going for like omoplatas from his guard. Like he was trying to get out of spots with submissions. He was trying to be an 
MMA fighter instead of an MMA striker, which is what he is. So it was really weird to see that ultimately he loses that fight. Now he's taking on one of the best MMA strikers that we have out there. And I know I said that a little bit about Shane Burgos, but it still stands. Lots of power, lots of speed, 145 pound division. Matt, Barboza opened a minus 150 favorite. He's a minus 115 right now in best fight odds. Chikadze open a plus 130. He's a minus 106, call it 105. Over on Topology, 1,030 votes, 62% Barboza, 38% Chikadze. Fight Night Picks, YouTube community tab, 854 total votes, 61% Barboza, 39% Chikadze. Hey, that's that's a difference of 1% between Tapology and the Fight Night Picks fans. I want to know down below who people are picking. Do you have the fighter out of Georgia, Giga Chikadze out of Kings MMA? Do you have Brazil's Edson Barboza out of American Top Team? What are we saying here, Matt? I can see a universe where Gage is really, really uh, light on his feet, moves around a lot, and tries to make Edson Barbosa miss. The problem, though, is that Edson Barbosa, similar to Dustin Poirier, and I have to bring this up, will huff and puff 30 seconds into the fight. Looks exhausted after throwing one kick. Does Edson Barbosa carry power into the third round, Craig? Yeah. And he doesn't just have power in the third round. He keeps his speed. That's the most important thing. Edson Barbosa can work at this insanely high work rate, be on the receiving end of takedowns, be getting damaged for minutes on end, but he still has that one shot in his back pocket. And the thing about Giga Chikadze is he's only fought one, I will say like proven UFC, like good main event caliber fighter. And that's Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson, he still has some tread left on the tires. I don't think he's the same fighter who was in the top five, but you know, he can go out there and have not, fun fights. Not the same guy fighters. that fought Artem Lobov, right? No, exactly. Not the same guy who fought Duho Choi. No, you know, like he's not that guy. Edson Barbosa, and the problem with some of those numbers that you brought up is that Edson Barbosa's strength of schedule is like a, almost nobody else in the UFC. It's God like Rafael dos and Edson Barbosa, and that's pretty much it. Like they only fight top level guys, and people look at Barbosa's record at twenty two and nine, and they're like, "That's kind of salty." When you've been fighting the top ten guys in two weight classes your entire career, you're gonna go on a losing streak here and there. I really do think Edson Barbosa is the superior striker in this fight, and I think he's gonna prove it. Like against Shane Burgos, it's interesting. Shane Burgos was able to put him into boxing combinations, whereas Shane Burgos is strength. And you would think, okay, on the feet, if Barbosa has any weakness, it would be in that range. He beat Shane Burgos at what Shane Burgos does best. I think that's good enough to beat Giga Chikadze as well. I'm looking a lot for the body shots from Edson Barbosa. I think those are going to be a very big factor in this fight. But I'll admit, this is going to be a phenomenal fight for as long as it lasts. But the official prediction is Barbosa. This should be a great one, Matt. I don't believe we've been in disagreement on any of the picks throughout this card, so that doesn't happen very long, but I also have Edson Barboza in this one. I, I think Giga Chikadze has a good a chance as ever, and this is one where, okay, we're beating the guys that we should beat. Now, a win over Edson Barboza really vaults you up into the top 10, up towards the top 5. Y you might end up with one of those tests where, hey, is it going to be a Josh Emmett coming off of like a long layoff? Is it going to be a guy that can wrestle a little bit? Would it be like a Chad Mendez after BKFC? Ooh. Could that fight happen? I don't know. But I, I do really like this one. But again, I think the volume and the pressure from Edson Barboza, the leg kicks, the body work, all the work that he can do. And if it goes to the mat, I've got Barboza in this one as well. Question. So both of us going, yes. Okay, if Edson Barbosa wins this fight, he has to fight either Yair Rodriguez or Max Holloway next, right? He fights the loser of that fight. Okay, he has to fight one of those two guys because that would be fight of the year. That's something I feel very confident in saying. 
fights the loser that fight. Matt, I can't wait for this weekend's card. I am really excited for it. We have the Ultimate Fighter finale. You've got Battle taking on Urbina. You've got Tertios taking on High Stand. Petrovsky's taking on Gilmore. There's all sorts of great. Kevin Lee is taking on D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez. You're not going to want to miss any of that two hours before the prelims. Fight Nate picks, question mark, kicks. You can't miss that either. We get a chance to look at the weigh-ins, offer up our final picks and predictions. Make sure you check out our second channel. We had a video that dropped. We opened some 2021 Tops Heritage, all sorts of great stuff over there. Check it out at 15-minute card breaks. It's great when Matt freezes as I'm doing the intro for our main event video, but overall, it should be a great one. You're not going to want to miss it. And as we always say, with Fight Night Picks, let's, let's get, get into, into it. it.